that one person may have like six different cats going. up yeah it's been a long time man uh, it when it's slow down it has you know dad life you missed that you missed that window you missed that window it's like mm, see you oh. next week maybe <laughs> oh man yeah clip and i were talking about before we went uh before we went live he uh peeked at my hobby desk and uh yeah i got some csm back there as you can kind of see, that's my here. I'll just do okay. this. That's, that's okay. my hobby space right there. Yeah. So, case one, two, and three is all chaos. And behind this lamp, you can't see it. That's all orcs, all the way down. <laughs> so there's there's a lot going on over there. Um, and then you can't even like, and that doesn't even fit all the orcs because like if you play orcs a lot you'll end up with just these like nonsense vehicles that take up a lot of room <laughs> those all live except for the rigs because the rigs i don't want to break because they have a bunch of stuff hanging off them they have a bunch of infantry hanging off them but besides the rigs all my vehicles just live in a in cardboard boxes in the garage so like all the buggies all the battle wagons all the trucks they're just they're just in a box they're not even like wrapped or packaged or anything they're just like sitting on top of each other and like oh. boxes <laughs> closed keep the dust off and they're just in the garage because like orc, orc vehicles are weird because orc vehicles like any particular orc vehicle i feel like only becomes meta like once a year tops so you like you don't need to have them on hand all the time yeah you want to be ready when it's time though yeah exactly you want to be ready but like if, if a buggy if like if a buggy is like meta in like 2020 and then it gets nerfed, you're kind of like, okay, see you in 2024. You know, like... <laughs> in the new edition, when you get a new code. Yeah, that's just that's just how when they when they put orc vehicles away, they put them away for a while. Yeah. So what's up with you, man? What, what how you been up to? What have you been up to? It's uh oh, man. Been a couple oh, weeks, God. winter break. Yeah, winter break's coming up. That's fun. Um, I fortunately also get winter break, but that winter break so I get to like don't have to like find a part-time nanny or anything for my sons who are going to be out of school uh, so that's cool the end of the end of the season for us turns into a lot of like there's a lot of fundraisers and like travel like i've randomly had to travel for work more than i have in the past like year maybe in the last like two months people are starting to pick it up a little bit um and then there's just been like like tonight my wife is out at like a fundraising dinner it's just like i can't go to that or else we're not going to get the show going until like the second week of january but like you know have fun do, do the do the good things spend the money on the good people all that good stuff um necron codex came out that's dope monoliths maybe good. maybe one super fun uh um, that looks like a good book yeah yeah man listen so like i took a look like when the hypercrypt legion rules got previewed people were like sort of like shitting on the release. And I was like, I don't know, like if you can move things with no caveats whenever you feel like it, that's like always good, always. The first thing, the first thing I thought of when I saw that, I was like, 
I was like that Glocktopus idiot. Yeah. Locus, and then Heavy Locus. I'm like, yeah. I don't like the idea of any of those just like showing up in my backfield yeah. at any given time. You are. Welcome. Um, yeah, the Hexmark Destroyer is going to be crazy. So, yeah, I think that book's really deep. And I think that, like, I think I said this in the Discord, but half the reason why, I think just reading it if you're like proficient in Warhammer, and you're like, oh, yeah, this book has a lot going on. But there's also the backup evidence of like, quite skilled players coming to wildly different conclusions about different units and different legions in that book, which is probably a good sign that there's like probably multiple play styles that are viable uh, yeah. given your approaches and given your skill level. So I'm, I'm pretty, yeah. pretty excited. We, we saw that happen with the last uh, balance pass. Like people, um, so we all knew that um, Custodes, a thousand sons of Pyronites got hammered and then Ooh. elves got hit too, but they didn't get, they didn't get hit as hard as everything else. We're like, well, that's going to be a problem because the big stuff keeping Elfar in check has gotten a hit. Yep. Um, people knew CK, or not CK, people knew CSM were good, but it was mostly kind of like Anthony and a couple others playing them, and Anthony was really leaning hard on the uh, Abaddon plus 10 Terminator brick supported by um, by independent, like shoot, strong shooting platforms, you know, mm -hmm. double forge between double obliterators. And then people also thought that Necrons were actually going to be a problem because so many armies had gotten hit that people thought that Necrons were just going to retain their durability and be unsolvable. That actually ended up not being the case. Like Necrons yeah. just like fell off the place of the face of the planet. And then out of nowhere, um, people innovated the CSM list. Um, Liam BSL, but uh, others too. But Liam was probably like the first to really perfect it. And you know, he went um I remember, I remember seeing Innis um, buying a bunch of Chaos Lords too around that time before. <laughs> I know, I know, I know Innis, I know Innis and Liam, and I know people were talking. Yeah. Um, but the Chaos, the uh, Chaos Lord spam plus um, plus Chosen, you know, who had gotten a points cut, you know, people were really kind of like leading into that, and they were just dropping Abaddon the Terminators, you know. So, and it, but people weren't really talking about CSM. Everyone was hyper focused on uh, on Necrons, and like I said, it was just. A lot of lot of really well known players were just flat out wrong. You yeah. know, Necrons just fell off the face of the earth. So, so yeah, like a lot of people do know what they're talking about, but sometimes you're just kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit, and sometimes it just doesn't doesn't play out. It's too many mm -hmm. factors. Mm -hmm. And CSM, it also it seemed to coincide with the simultaneous realization across a bunch of different players in different countries that like, oh yeah, like multiple squads inside a single transport jamming objectives is like gaming <laughs> and yeah. people were taking that and translating that across to different factions exactly it's like i was we were talking about it the other week so my locals um and just how outside of eldar who are just were just playing their own game uh, and then like chaos knights obviously who are you know can't do that they're just vehicle spam but a lot of the armies are um running the archetype of hammers and or mission playing trash nonsense in <laughs> transports backed up by uh either indirect or mobile shooting you know yeah. or if it's not mobile it's long range shooting that can come out of reserves and get angles at the end of a long firing lane and use their range to keep safe like forge beach forge beach are not mobile they're not fast mm -hmm. but they're 36 inches and that's actually kind of a rare kind of a rare break break point um a lot of the really relevant shooting platforms right now are 24 inches. Um, so to be able to be 36, you should come out in our reserves, um, especially on like a lot, a lot of GW boards. 
um, like that top left objective, there's a really good firing lane that goes across three objectives on several layouts. Um, and you can't really walk a forge feed up there, but you can absolutely bring a forge feed out of reserves. And now it just gets to look across three objectives. Um, and if someone has a 24-inch unit and they're not pushing up aggressively enough, well, they, you get to shoot at them. They don't get to shoot back. Yeah. You know, and you get to use your the threat of chosen and chaos lords and rhinos to push them out of that range racket. So it's very strong. It's pretty cool. It's pretty yep. cool. You're seeing Death Guard do the same thing with the uh plate burst crawlers plus yeah. the um 30 plate marines and three rhinos. You know, Tal do it a little bit where they have like the breacher fish um uh, pushing up, you know, which the, the breacher fish package is fantastic. Oh, that's so a fantastic cheap, unit. It's so cheap for its outplay durability. Yeah, and then like they, they push you out, and of course Tal back that up with shooting because they are the shooting faction. Um, what else is doing it? CSM is obviously doing it. Black Templars do it fantastic. Black Incredible. Templars are the the Imperial CSM. Yes, people, people aren't really talking about that faction enough. When you have the uh gladius black templars where they just pop you know the um finest hour on the captains and they use a lance strap for their like they get lance and extra ap and then you have Hellbricks, you know attached to the sword brethren and like you use gladius to advance charge that unit and now that whole unit has lethal fives with re-rolls and does mortals on the charge and is plus one damage you're just like <laughs> yeah it's so it's, insane it's wild just and as a has space that. range to back it up yeah as a quick heads up, if you're Black Templars running Gladius Task Force, uh, you've got a win rate of 65% and over up 1.3. 20% of you are going 4-0 to start your events, <laughs> uh, but no event wins yet. Uh, I, I think people are doing similar stuff in Ironstorm and just like riding the math out to victory. Yep. Yeah, you can totally do it. But I'm Black Templars with Gladius, I am super scared of that list because it is... It is um, I don't want to say it's stronger than CSM. It's not. <laughs> but I personally haven't figured out that matchup yet with any of the armies I play. So, where CSM is like that, that people are starting to like learn how to play into that now. And so, even though it's like a really good army, you're kind of like, okay, well, if, you, if you're getting a lot of reps into good people playing that army, then when you go to an event and you, see, and you pair into someone and you know the matchup better than they know. If you know your matchup into them better, they know the matchup into you, and you've been playing against someone who plays it well, and then they play it suboptimally, those those little openings become very obvious, and you can kind of capitalize on that. Whereas Black Templars, I just don't have enough reps into that, and people just aren't talking about it a lot. So that matchup still scares me. Gets better. Those captains hit hard. Like it's a whole, it's a whole thing. I think CSM might actually be the best performing faction in the game right now. I think they are because they have um, they just have they just have good matchups in everyone. Which mm -hmm. is like even though Eldar like rules wise is probably the best faction, CSM are close second. I think CSM just has probably better matchups across the board, and they have so much they have so much pivot room too with the allies, yeah. everything like that. And like Eldar are kind of like getting real close to like the Botan problem in Ninth Edition, where it's like if they take one more point hit, um, those they actually like might fall below the critical mass of units. Like you need to play an actual game of Warhammer, you know. And at that point, at that point, no one, no one on your side of the table is having fun. And then you have to bring like 
you had to you had to like bring like the actually bad units. I mean, a lot of their units are good, but a lot of their units that are like down like kind of like the B tier and C tier of that codex are good units, but also like you know cancel them up to the realm. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, they like now now it's like they're good until they play into like triple play burst crawler or like you know 12, 13 war dogs with all havoc launchers or like a imperial guard. Right, and that could be more just this could be more of like, hey, newsflash indirect is bad for the game. But you know <laughs> those the pivots that they're gonna take are really, really don't like indirect, yeah. more so than most factions. But Tim, we're supposed to be able to fix everything with points cost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and people are talking people are all talking about it because like the um because we look at share screen. This and we're like, I don't know if you can you guys see my, my mouse when I do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So people were like, people were like, yeah, look at this. These are this this game is actually pretty balanced. Look at this uh world eaters, you know, world eaters through gene store cult, kind of <laughs> kind of a good spot. And these guys here, you know, pushing up a little bit. Um, let me drop let me drop the veterans out of here. Okay, so now now it's like now it's like really <laughs> You know, wow, I mean, all these guys fell off that joke clip, but it's looking like it's looking pretty, pretty healthy once we actually drop the players who know what they're doing uh, out of this. The thing is, though, is like, let's let's go through this like line by line. All right. Eldari playing with about 1600 points worth of stuff because they have too many rules. Chaos Space is probably playing with about 2150, 2200 points worth of stuff. Yeah. Leagues of Votan playing with like 2400 points worth of stuff. Um, Black Templar is probably actually playing with a solid 2,000, maybe 2,100 points. They just and have this, rules. The, here's, here's where these, like, the drill downs become really handy. It's like, if you drill down into the Black Templar um, detachments, that set of performance is being, like, hard dragged down by, like, suboptimal choices by a lot of people. Right? Yeah. So. And it's not even that, it's not even, like, too bad. Like, no, 48, bad. For your, 48 for your lowest percent is not bad. But it's masking the 65, 65, yeah. 65 of these. Look at this, it's, man. This it's is crazy. Insane. That's crazy. Absolutely insane. Um, world Eaters, they got some point cuts. I actually think World Eaters are probably like right where they need to be points-wise. Um, world Eaters are just kind of forcing people to screen again, which I am yeah. I am surprised. But they also, you have to screen, but you can't screen too much. Because if you screen too much, they kill one screen, consolidate into another one, you fail a leadership check, and now you have an unshootable world leader's army uh, singing no man's land, Yay. which is obviously bad. <laughs> Yay! So, so there is world leaders punish world leaders punish mistakes very hard, um, <laughs> but I don't think um, if you're running the 1975 list, I think Angron's like 400 something points. Um, Eight bound or like what, like 45, 50 points? Like nothing is like undercosted, you know. Even no, the sure even is. the oh, I don't know what's what is a corn berserker like 19? 18, I know it's not lower than 18 points. It's like 18 or 19 points, you know, which is pretty typical for like attack marine equivalent. Um Saritas are absolutely playing with like 2400 points. Like just, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't even think if you take 
if you take 30 arcoflagellants and three exorcists, I don't even think like I don't even think that's more than 900 points. I think yeah, that's less I mean, than 900 you're, points. You're basically still, you're playing with like 2,000 points of other models on top of that, essentially. Arcos are so cheap. Yeah. Crazy. Arcos are insanely cheap. And they with two wounds, with two wounds and a four up fill of pain, they functionally have four wounds apiece. And then like you've if you pop go to ground and miracle dice on top of them as well, it's just like you're just like you're having to like shoot like anti-tank weapons to remove these idiots one at a time. <laughs> um space wolves, I don't actually have enough rep in the space wolves, but you can see here that it's like it's kind of there's some stuff with Stormlands, Gladius, Firestorm up higher, Ironstorm pretty decent, so not too surprised. <laughs> Champions of Rust down here at the bottom of the trash where it belongs. Um <laughs> Death Guard. I Death Guard are like they got some some love, um, but they're they're totally playing with like they're playing with more than two thousand points. Um I just put so much trash on the table um that punches above its weight, you know, and it's my my list, it feel it feels like I'm playing with a twenty two hundred point list, which is why it's so strong. I just never run out of stuff. Spam undercosted output, big brain in it. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> I'm surprised to see Thousand Suns doing so well here, but it's only 2% meta rep, which yeah. anything below 3%, you know, usually means that there's like, it's just not being played by a lot of people. Cause I think if you take, it's like 26 factions of the game, if you divide all 26 factions, their share of the pie equally, I think it comes out to like 3% or close to it. Yeah, it should be 3 So, yeah. So anything, so anything, anything t like 2% or below, it's just, it, it just means it's going to be very swingy because it's below the average or below mm -hmm. the mean. Um let's see. And then after that we start we start getting kind of into real stuff. I know I know Adeptus Mechanicus are putting a lot of stuff on the table just outside of creatures they don't do damage. Um I think that's new with the new book. Tal Empire putting a lot of stuff on the table. Orcs are very good, but again, they're putting a lot of stuff on the table. Um is Tal's underperformance? I haven't checked this specific matchup, but like I'm always surprised at how I've been surprised at how their numbers have been relative to what I my perception of the strength of that book is. I, I wonder whether that's specific to the matchups by the two most common factions. I, I think it I think it's more to do with the detachment than mm. the matchup. Um they don't have a way to push people off objectives early, reliably into most of the matchups in the field. That is that's the main thing. They're, if you if you push into if you can tank the damage they have on the field, and if they reserve any of their damage dealing units, like a lot of times they'll reserve, like they'll have two crisis units, and they'll reserve one of them. And if you have, if you have reps into that matchup, and you're like, okay, well, I can actually, I can tank this, mm -hmm. and you push them. If you push them hard aggressively, um, that's why they they like the preacher fish because it, it kind of slows you down a little bit. Um, but if you can push into them, um, turn three is a long time to wait for your army to turn on especially if you've been taking heavy losses and losing a lot of ground. Um, so I really think it's just the fact that they have a Kalyon detachment instead of a Monka detachment mm -hmm. or something that's a little more flexible for the early game. Well, so that's also, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Just to, to back up your point there, they are 33% into Eldar and 38% into CSM, 39% into World Eaters, 35% into Sisters. Pizza Bagels brings up a good point too. Everyone gets a free 20 and fix too. Yeah, if you just take homers and bring it yeah. down, it's... Because their best, they're the best units they have that give them like sticking power to the table are all vehicles, mm -hmm. you know. And it's like, and it's not tough vehicles. It's like small, small vehicles that would be that would be heavy infantry in any other book. Yeah. So, so whack. 
yeah, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit rough, but it's it's just when you're a melee only army like like uh, world eaters or like a lot of orc builds, you can still push people off primary. When you're a shooting only army, it's much harder to do that because you are to push people off primary. You have to put models. They have to leave you space for you to land on their objectives. You have to push models up into there. Then you have to shoot them off. 100%. You can't leave wounded stuff or like stuff alive, you know, otherwise you're risking getting tagged or wrapped, charged, that kind of stuff. And then you need to have enough shooting pointed at those guns to be like pointed at those objectives where the threat of your shooting keeps them from stepping on those objectives. There's just, there's just too many ways around that, especially mm -hmm. with activation locking or stuff like that. Whereas where with melee, you can just like world ears, you can just stage, you can activation lock, you can sticky the objective when you fall off it. That's another thing. Like Tau hates stuff with sticky objectives. Yeah, you know, like that is that right. is rough. Um, and then whereas world eaters, you can you can sticky objectives in the open, so you only have to you only have to give away one unit for it. And it's like, okay, well now it's sticky. Now I don't have to put anything else on there until you come take it away, and then I'll just repeat it. And then they can stage stuff behind walls. And then just their threat range. They're like, okay, well, if you stand that objective, you will die. Whereas Tau, Tau can't do that. They have to get stuff in the open. So it's a, it's a lot of little things, but I think a huge part of it is just the fact that their army doesn't turn on to turn three, and that's just that's just too long. Yeah. You know, just miss the two most important turns of the game. It's fine. No. I, hopefully, when they get when they get their, um, I think when their book comes out, it'll solve a lot of issues. A lot, a lot of issues. Um, who knows? I I don't I don't have any insider info, but I've I I have heard rumors of them getting um Vespid kill team, which you know you, they're gonna probably get some new rules or something like that, some sort of love there, you know, that'll help. Um they've been pretty good about giving at least every single codex like at least one new model to play with, which will be which will be nice. They get some points love and they get some detachments. I think a bot could attach would be huge. That'd be huge, huge yeah, for that party. Access to not not even good post combat, but like moderately useful would be like yeah. do something with the crew data sheet to like make it you know good at killing. Trash yeah, there's people. a Tal have more data sheets than people there's realize. It's just it's just there's so many data sheets that you don't realize they have because they're just not worth bringing. It. So I, I I agree with you. Like it doesn't have to be good melee, but it could be like my trash beats up your trash. Yeah. You know, like that sort of thing. Tal sweat out. Yeah, Alex, what's up, man? Uh, so let's. That's actually kind of a good, semi-good segue while we're talking about the meta stuff. Cliff, talk to me about what you've been doing. You published the uh, oh boy. Elo article yeah. on uh, Goonhammer, and I saw it got posted cross uh, cross posted to Reddit, and of course there were comments. I'm just like, I'm like, you did. I don't think you read the article, man. Like just yeah. some of the comments, they're not they're not as bad as I thought. But I was just kind of like, bro, like that was clearly answered in the article. You know? Yeah, I know. It is funny, you know. It's not. <laughs> it's funny for me because I come like my professional background involves writing a lot of like op eds, like ghostwriting a lot of op eds and like political commentary things, and like it's pretty standard practice to anticipate the critique and then answer the critique immediately so that people look like fools when they provide the critique you answered. Um, and there are a lot of folks, to, I mean, the, the comments that I saw that were down on ELO broadly were very specific about ELO as a system driving um, choices for players that like don't, choices that players would rather not make because they're not interested 
in running like the most competitive stuff. They're interested in running like, you know, fluffy stuff, which I'm like, cool. I too love running fluffy stuff and meme lists. And also like that will not result in good ELO things because ELO measures winning. <laughs> it measures your ability Let's go to- Like you can, you can, if you want to, if you want to make yourself feel better, you can just tell yourself that like, hey, just because my ELO is not high doesn't necessarily mean I'm bad. Like yeah. if I'm just trolling, if I'm just trolling every single event, my ELO is going to be low. And then like, <laughs> but you can like, that's okay. and you can still be, you can still be good. Like you, like you just don't, but also like, if you don't care about ELO, then like, why do you care about things that affect your ELO? Right. Which means you actually do care about ELO. You actually <laughs> so, do care about it. You, you just want to, you just want to not get, you know, exposed for any nonsense. Right, right. I do think it's fair which, though, right? Like, there, the, are, there are a lot of like, it would be easy to look at a single figure, a single data point and say like, there's no way that this single data point fully encapsulates like the wide nuance inherent to like playing and winning where I'm a 40K game. You're like, yes, except we assume that winning the game contains all of the things that you're talking about. Like all of that information informs someone's ability to win. So the more they play, the better we get it, like better the system becomes it. Measuring that now. Uh, shout out to Jeremy for one, putting it in place, and then two, doing work behind the scenes now to get it even better and more accurate through like the decay development process. Um, that's it's, it's going to be nasty. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge amount of work, and it's definitely we're we're definitely seeing people, you know, kind of like slowly adopt it, which is kind of cool. Which your yeah. reminder, um, Lewis Betancourt, if you're watching this, I haven't forgot about you. We still got to reach out to you. He he reached out to us. Uh, he's one of um, our local TOs. Uh, he's in the Tampa area. He he's already talked about how you know he he thinks that Evo is kind of going to be like the way of the future and it's slowly going to replace ITC points. Yeah, um, I think that's true. Which we're which well, we're seeing less and less support for ITC points every single year. I I think I think it was kind of start. It was kind of started as a way to encourage people to get to go events, and it's just kind of become this big like albatross that like FLG doesn't want to deal with anymore. Um, <laughs> so and it shows, but um, so yeah, one one if you don't care about Elo, like one, it doesn't factor in RTTs just because the Elo the Elo data is slaved from the data we used for the the meta dashboard. Uh, and it's a it, one, it's a workload thing. Two, there's just so much nonsense that happens in RTT. We don't think that data is actually insightful. And three, um, it kind of leaves RTTs as like a safe spot where you can like relax and like play like fun list or more meme list or experiment or something like that and not feel like you're getting like punished for it. Um, also, like there's like BCP accounts are free, so there's nothing stopping you from just like making up like a uh a new moniker or Elias or something like that and be like, this is my meme account, you know, and then you just run like <laughs> nonsense under someone else's name and a different email. Like there's nothing stopping you from doing that. Ah, uh, uh, shit. You know? That makes you, nah, people aren't doing that for the five bands. I was like, oh man, that makes me wonder how many people are doing that. We're like not accounting for the fact that one person may have like six different accounts going. I... <laughs> I mean that one guy. The one guy in rural Australia was for sure doing that. But besides, that, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's my favorite forty k story of all. This time. is a totally uh, legit event. Definitely not fake. <laughs> I love that story, but um, yeah, I don't think we're seeing. And for the most part, like people, the people that really do care were like uh, one of my one of my buddies. He actually reached out um, to Jeremy, and I, I put Jeremy and him in touch because 
his his employer is very nosy about when he's using personal time stuff like that so he two years ago he he changed a year or two ago he changed uh his bcp name or account to a different one so that way when he like podiumed or won events he wouldn't just like show up as like searchable you know because a lot of times you know they might have been using personal time might have been you know using that personal time to go to events and it's just easier to not have your name like be searchable when that happens especially if you're doing well and your name is getting going on blood of kittens and goonhammer and this yeah, yeah. hidden google exactly um, that's um, cool. like he he did he did reach out he did reach out and asked us to merge his name so i suppose i assume that anyone that really cares would like reach out to us and ask yeah. for like their names to get merged which is something we can do yeah yeah and if if you are in fact one of those people who cares about that sort of thing you want to make sure that that's happening reach out to us because we're happy to attempt to correct it. Uh, that's what we do. One of the big advantages I think that ELO has over ITC or really any, excuse me, any other system is that like, it's just transparent, like formulas out there. It's one that we're using. You can look it up. If you're really intense about it, you could collect all the data, rerun all the numbers yourself and like hopefully get the same answers. Pretty sure <laughs> Jeremy and I just spent like an hour behind the scenes leading up to the show like tricking trading python code to make yeah. sure we are live um, in different discords someone yeah. actually posted up um someone again who didn't read the article was like is there any word on elo you know counting for teams and it's like it's like, like well did you read it your version of yeah like we talked about in the the article like your job and teams might be to just like lose small lose all small. weekend long and it's like elo is produced by like win loss and like the the likelihood that you were going to win or lose and yeah. if you buck that trend or not so it's like it doesn't really work with teams i did however like a follow-up suggestion that someone else said where they basically said is there a way that we could maybe look at implementing a slower rate of dec decay if that person is active in team events i'm like that and jeremy was there too and we were both like that's actually a really that's a good idea, idea. Yeah, that's yeah, I like that a lot because you are you are active. You are like in the scene, but you're not like actively going out singles events. Mm -hmm. But you're not like someone who just like hibernated for like a year and you woke up and you have no idea what's going on. There is also a universe where like I mean this this would assume way more transparency into team data um, in some sort of platform that would like collect digitally collect everyone's predicted performance in a given matchup and then also record their actual performance and you get differences between predicted and actual um, and classify those as like wins, losses, or draws. And then you could adjust it based on the degree of win, loss, or draw versus they're expected. And then you could produce an ELO score for teams that would reward somebody for losing small when otherwise an average player might lose big. But none that of those sounds, tools- That sounds crazy intense. Super <laughs> intense. And none of those tools exist right now. So. Yeah, exactly. You'd have to like build back from the ground up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that would be cool though. Yeah, because if you're somebody like like Typhus, for example, like he's not out here playing, you know, 10 GTs a year, um, but dude's an absolute killer. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, uh, it, would be, it would be, I'm sure his ELO is not reflective in fact of that here. Competitive. No, of course not. That's funny when, like, when those people who like are underrepresented when they play, you get to sh you get to see them like shoot up, you know, like <laughs> two hundred points in this. Like after two events, they shoot up like two hundred points because they just yeah. like beat everyone. Yeah. That's Did that happen on WCW with a couple of people. Oh yeah, it happened with the several people. Um, 
because you get that cross pollinization of metas where because if you are if you're just playing your local meta, you know, and, and, and even if you're a top dog in your local meta, and like let's say your your elo is like 1700, 1800, 1900, um, you're not really getting paired against the people at like 1200, 1300, whatever. Like, actually, I don't even, those people are actually pretty rare. Like, those are the people who like show up to like a GT and like they play like one GT or one major, like an FLG event. And like, and then they just disappear off the face of the earth. We never see them again. You know, they just come in, they lose, they lose six games in a row, and they're like, that was fun. And then we just never see those again. <laughs> um, even the biggest skill disparity games I've played, like the other player has been ranked like mid 1400s or something like that, you know. So like you are if you're sitting there farming your local population, like you are still getting like like real notable like elo gains just from beating up the same people over and over and over again you know and then when new people come in they're ranked 1500 if you're ranked at 1900 and you beat a 1500 person you're still getting like a not insubstantial boost especially if you're going to a lot of events yeah, yeah. what happens though is you basically you take all the elo and you load it up you, you load up your you're going you're like i'm gonna go to worlds you load up your backpack with your clothes and your toothbrush and your underwear you load up your army and then there's an invisible bag where you load up all your elo and what you don't realize is that there's another guy coming from fucking like poland who's about to take all that back home with him. that bag with your that army you, yeah your army and your clothes are coming back with you your elo is going home with him to europe so and that's basically what happened and it's kind of cool when we see these cross-pollinization events happen we're gonna see that i think as wtc and teams and um yeah get more and more popular and we start seeing more people going over to UKTC events, more people from America start going to um, Warmaster GT and we have these cross pollinization opportunities. I think that's going to be like really cool, you know, and then that works the other way too. Like the Americans who are a little bit underrated and they go over there and they beat some guy from like the UK or Poland or something like that, you know, like they're going to get a big shot in the arm, you know, so that that is something I really like, and that you alluded to it in the article about how the system is a little bit self-correcting by design, mm -hmm. which I love because this because naturally, as people as people in the data set quit or move on to different hobbies or stuff like that or whatever, we're going to see um, inflation in the Elo. Like twenty one hundred is going to become the new two thousand. You know, mm -hmm. a couple of years, 2300 is going to become the new 2100. So decay helps a little bit there, but also having these cross-pollinization events where we see these massive, you know, changing of hands of uh, the accumulated ELO in the system. It's mm -hmm. almost like it's almost like an economy where the money doesn't get destroyed. It just changes hands. Changes hands um, yeah. It's pretty interesting to follow. I think the, the thing to remember if you're... Because I think people, there's some people who have like legitimate legitimately grounded concerns about elo inflation and they, like like you were saying the ability of somebody to like just grind out their local meta for like you know three to five point hits but like do it 10 times um yeah the thing to remember is that like it's really the differential that you're worried most about like what is the difference in elo rating between two players because that's the thing that actually contains information about the probability of a given player winning or losing um and the like values all collectively inflating over time is like still still a thing but not as much of a thing given given the assumption that like they're all raising it roughly the same rate 
yeah like when so I, I think if i'm following what you're saying it's like well if someone is let's say someone's at at 2000 now and someone like Barry team is at 2100 yeah and there is possibility where like a year or two in the future you know you have Manny Chima is now at 2300 someone's at 2000 and it's not that the it's not that 2000 got worse it's just that maybe we've now we just have more granularity you know between the the ranks yeah yeah and you, can you can definitely you can definitely see let me you'll hear yeah. global emo it's supposed so, to happen like you're 2100 now and then in a year you're 2200 but you maybe necessarily have not necessarily like changed your actual player skill if the same player you're 21 and somebody else is 2000 and then in a year you're 22 and they're 21 you have the same relative player skill like the probability of a given outcome in that game does not change for either person yeah you can see a little bit here too like as you get into like the 19 1900s you know yeah. 1900s is actually a little bit small um but the like the 1800s <laughs> They're and down to the 1700s, where like this is most people that you think of as good players are kind of like here in the 1700s, yeah, actually. And you can see there's a huge amount of granularity. Like, look at this, like starting from uh Robin Roberts, mm -hmm. you know, and you have one, two, three, four, five, six people that are like separated by decimal points. You know, we see it a little bit again here, two people at like you know, got 40. 45.7, 45.7, you know, 44.3, 44.1, I don't know why these two are swap places, 43.4, like, you can just, you can just kind of, like, see it, you know, like, where it's just mere decibel points are separating people. And right now, those are decibel points, but two years in the future, those might actually be, due to the, due to the inflation, those actually might separate to being, like, you know, like, five yeah, actual whole five number points. points yeah. 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 So that'll be interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. It'll be cool. Do you know? <laughs> I wonder where. Where do you think the GW staff are are in here? Because I know they've hit up a couple of GT plus events. Uh, One of they, the interesting things. They, now they, they, it, like I would imagine, you know, I would imagine they're probably in the fifteen hundred to like fourteen hundred. Yet, because yeah. they're not. The thing is, like a lot of those guys have played, but like not a lot and they go they tend to go even or they tend to go slightly negative and if you right, played right. like if you played two gts in the past two years and you went negative at both your your, your elo is just your elo is just not gonna be that high like whether it's accurate is a whole nother discussion but it's just yeah. not gonna be very high because the less games you have the more volatile each game is for your ranking yeah one of the things i wanted to look at now that we've got We've got individual ELO scores now assigned to the end of every game for every player in our data set, which is really cool. The that gives us the ability in the future, this will be like another dashboard update, which will be tight, um, to bracket out on a like per events attended basis or a per games played basis, like what the ELO distributions look like within that. Um, and that'll be that'll be super interesting. As well, just the like, I'm excited to see where the bulk of people are at because I think there's a visualization here where you just do a line chart, show the growth over time, and it's just gonna be a whole, yeah. whole, whole lot of us yeah. sitting in the ocean and a whole lot of sharks jumping up out of it with their 1800 plus ratings. That that wouldn't be a bad idea um, for something in the future where you just have like you just have like a uh, 
like a like a bell curve graph or something like that where you just you just literally show like where everyone is you know like you just show like the vast majority of us are like living in that kind of like 1400 to 1600 kind of area and then like there's a steep curve up steep 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 curve up as you get to the 1700s and i mean the people that are like 1800 2100 is like narrow tiny, tiny. Yeah. very narrow two yeah two two three standard deviations beyond should be should be cool uh speaking of events um not the cleanest segue but i'll talk about uh, Warzone no. a little bit yeah that was uh that was a fun time i went up with um a couple people from my local uh mark parker he was running necrons reggie sanchez running admec ruben fernandez running orc list um that we've been iterating on and every um iterating on fine-tuning his show because he he did very well um and Danny Sanchez, who's Reggie Sanchez's uh, son, he was running uh, Firestorm Space Marines, um, just all the good stuff, and then he was just sprinkled on Firestorm, so it just just did a ton of damage. Love it. Um, and and then also uh, our buddy Brian, I'm not going to use his last name because he's the guy who uh, uses the uh, the alternate name, you know. So I have no idea if he was supposed to be at that event or not, but he took uh, World Eaters. Um, and it was good. So yeah, it was like six of us. And um, so one, I got to say that it's been a while since I've been up to Atlanta. And even though that town is fun, that airport is awful. And I also, <laughs> I also wasn't, I also didn't really pay close attention to where the event was because I was definitely surprised by like the forty-minute uh, Uber ride from the airport to oh, the wow. to the venue. I'm like, is yeah, it was up in like Marietta, so it was like clear oh. the other. It was clear the other side from the airport. I'm like, oh, this is rough. Yeah. Um, the hotel, the hotel was pretty decent. Um, the hotel, it was it was kind of quiet. There was um, it was located next to a lot of good stuff. Uh, we totally it was totally just just have like a boys trip though, because um, I got in late. I got I I went in a little bit later than everyone else, uh, just because I wanted to take advantage of like having the time off and everything. So I I had the full Thursday off. I caught a late night late night flight thursday night um i got in like real late around like like midnight or something like that um but i got to spend the entire day with the family um which was nice and relaxing uh and then the next day played uh two rounds one of them was on stream against world eaters for both of them so i played world eaters and then i played world eaters again so that was <laughs> nice um especially because i have a lot of reps in the world eaters um both Against world eaters and as world eaters, so that was great because I don't near one of the players. Near one, funny guy. <laughs> yeah, near well, near one of them had like they definitely had like less reps in the DG than I had in their army. So, oh, yeah. um, so round one, we actually played this wrong. Uh, it was vital ground, but like we just totally just zoned out because they sent out an email saying what the what the missions were from the packet. But they didn't. I didn't realize they had a separate packet for the War Masters Challenge. So I guess I'm gonna rewind this. I do like how Wars in Atlanta structures their event. I think it's really cool. Basically, you, it's kind of, you pay the ticket is kind of expensive, but you get a really nice catered lunch um, in the middle of it. Like the lunch is like really good, like like really good food. You know, like chicken parmesan. Uh, fried chicken, like sweet tea, like rolls, like all sorts of different sides. You know, it was really, really, really nice catered lunch. That was awesome. Um, but and it's, and it's only five five rounds, 
and the prize support and like the support and the trophies, everything are awesome. Um, but then you can pay $25 more and you basically get to opt to like a, what we, call, we jokingly call a tryhard bracket, which is two <laughs> games on Friday before the event. And basically, if you don't opt into those games, you get two hidden losses added onto your um, your like your win path or your like wins amount or whatever. So like that way, de- round one of Saturday, all the people in all the people that went into the uh, War Masters challenge, right. whatever the record is, tacked onto the GT. Right. Everyone else is going to be is basically going to be showing zero and two, but it's like hidden on BCP. You win your first round, but you were in the tryhard bracket. You'll be you'll be um, one and two. One two. You show up if you show up for like just the Saturday and Sunday, and you and you go undefeated. Your win path will still show loss, loss, and then five wins. Right. Um, which kind of which kind of caps you. And then they also do um, opponent game win percentage, which was kind of normally I don't love, but it kind of worked out in my favor because I went for I went four and three, and I still ended up like thirteenth. So that was awesome. Love it. And like Ruben, his opponents. <laughs> Ruben went went four and four and three as well, and ended up right below me at like fourteen. So nice. that was that was good. Um, but anyhow, anyhow, long story short, I got way off off base here. So I opened up my email because my opponent was like, "What? There's no packet here. What? Um, what mission are we doing?" And I was like, "Oh, I got the email right here. Let me look it up." And it just said round one, and it was like, uh, like taking hold or whatever, something like that. And we got the we got the deployment right, but apparently everyone else was playing vital ground, and we were just playing like take and hold. <laughs> so, and like the the TO comes by, and I kind of put this on them a little bit because they only had they only had like two judges there, the TO and someone oh, else, nice. but they were also like they're also manning the front desk, which was like outside the room, you know. So they didn't catch it until round four, and they're like, "Why do you have a center objective?" I'm like. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to. And then we look around. No one, no one else did. We're like, whoops. But also, it's like, it's like if you had had more judges and tos, you would have caught this like way faster. Yeah. Or like, you know, um, more clarity in the initial communications. More in clarity the in the packet, you know, stuff like that. You know, but it is what it is. I think they're they're under new management and there's some stuff they're trying to work through. It was still yeah. overall like a very very good event. You know, awesome. I liked it a lot. I'll definitely I'll definitely try to go back if I can. Um, yeah, played world eaters. He didn't really. He didn't really know what Death Guard did. Like I explained it to him. I was like, hey man, the big thing, if you don't remember anything else, this unit has fight first and I can grenade four times in a turn. <laughs> like, one, once like each of these characters, like what I'm like, if you don't remember anything else, like please remember that, you know, because yeah. like nothing else the army does is really gotcha. It just puts too much stuff on the table and it hits a little harder than it should. Um, and then yeah, just the the endless waves of of crap that was hitting too hard for its points cost, like just eventually kind of drag him down. And also, it was just like I'm so used to playing against Anthony, where he just he pushes up, and then turn two, he just closes the noose, mm-hmm. and then like turn three, if you're still like if you're still moving, he just closes the noose again, and then the game ends. And like this guy, um, he I. He used to be on Brohammer with me, and I never got a chance to play against him before. But I knew he was he was a competent player. But he had recently had a kid, so he kind of like had taken a break. He was kind of getting back into it. Um, and so I was, I think he was just, I think he was just trying to do like the missile trading thing. And it's just you just can't missile trade with with Death Guard. Like they just have too much stuff. Um, and they'll just they'll just they'll you'll missile trade for like some Nerglings or like a Rhino, and they'll just kill whatever came over. And they're like, great, 
you know, I'm still scoring a 90. What are you going to do about it? My stream opponent, same thing. Um, I was a little bit overstimulated in this game because I played on stream before, but I was a little bit tired. I was just kind of off this entire event. Um, Joe's table has a lot of like little extra things going on that I'm not that like every stream table is different. Every stream table is different, but this one had like a little extra stuff going on. And honestly, I probably should just put my my plane in airport my phone in airplane mode because in addition to uh you know trying to give my opponent like a decent oh, above board wow. game play my stuff uh yeah my phone was just constantly blowing up you know like while i was like like notifications would be coming down like while i was like trying to like check the app for stuff you know i'm trying to do um I'm trying to do the scoring in the ITC Battles app because I don't really trust trust Joe's scoreboard, you know, because it's like mm-hmm. it's got some stuff, and I don't I don't really want to try to like dig under the uh, the hood of someone else's like scoring <laughs> apparatus, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. Although I just took fixed, my opponent had way more of a harder time because he was doing tactical, and once you start discarding cards or holding cards, it gets like way complicated. Um, and then yeah, there's like there's like. Normally where I put all my stuff, there's like rails there where the camera moves, you know, I have to use someone else's diet. It was just all sorts of things. It was just kind of like, like I said, I, the best term I could I could use for it was just like overstimulated. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was that was a good game. I, I when Angron was coming back, I tried to make a play where I just exploded the rhinos and the plague marines outward to try to like screen him way out and maybe draw some of his resources back towards his home objective. And then I was looking through the app and I was like, oh, I did this wrong. The uh the desperate escape temp is done before the vehicle moves, not afterwards. So mm. luckily it was still my it was still my movement phase. So I was like, hey, I don't want to get roasted on Reddit on Monday morning, you know, like you know, run out run out of town, you know. I've spent way YouTube too much comments going way, crazy. Yeah, I I've spent way too many dollar dues on like models to like get run out of this hobby. So like do you mind if you like fix it? It's still in the phase. I was like oh, but I was I was very careful to fix it in a way that only hurt myself, not him. You know, I was like, look, I'll just I'll I'll eat the loss of two rhinos and like like six dead plague marines and two battle shock units like on the chin. You know, just let me put these these two battle shock units back where they're here. Yeah. So I just I basically lost like three plague marines from one unit, two plague marines from another unit. They were both battle shocks. And I lost two full health rhinos, or almost full health rhinos, for no reason at all. Yeah, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, but I had so much of my army. Like, I just had so much stuff in my army because he was trying to, he was trying to do the thing where he was just like trying to missile into me, and I was just waiting for that big, huge, like army wide knockout punch um, that you really need to do as world years. It just never came. He just kind of like let me sit on three objectives while he sat on two. And he was just sitting there, like just getting scammed on cards. And meanwhile, he was just sending what he was sit, literally sending in one character at a time when I took oh, assassinate yeah. home. So I'm just kind of like, okay, <laughs> thanks for the points. That's, yeah. Was he? I know you said he was like just had a baby. and was coming back to the game. Was this like his? That was that was the, that was the first. That was the first opponent. The first. Opponent. Uh, oh. Uh, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the stream game. The stream game. Um, although they did kind of do similar things where they were just like missling stuff, but yeah. the first. The first round opponent was running a more meta. I don't know if it was the 1975 list, but it was extremely close if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been like Jack's list with a chaos spawn or something like that, but it was it was very much a meta list. Whereas like the round two game, that guy was running um just MSU Exalted, which don't really they missile trade, they would missile trade, except he was attaching a character to them. 
Oh. And I took assassinate. So they weren't actually even trading. You know, Me. he was like he was like sending them into rhinos and like not killing the rhinos. And then I was getting assassinate and primary. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, a little little bit rough for him. Yeah. Also, the way the point is, the TO came up to me afterwards, and like, I guess, I guess, like, like at some point, like, because I overwatched early with the drone, and I guess like someone thought I overwatched with the Rhino with firing deck, and I even said on stream, like, you can't, you can't do that. Also, there like nothing near the Rhinos had taken damage. It was like clearly over by the drone, and like the TO came to me the next day. He's like, hey, by the way, someone on stream wanted to let you know you can't overwatch the Rhino like firing deck. I'm like, thanks. Good story, bro. I'm like, <laughs> I literally haven't done. I literally have not have not done that all of that, but okay. I, I, I like to, I like to I like to remind I like to remind people to breathe every once in a while also when they're on stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go touch grass. Uh every now and then I, I can see why Joe's like, nah, I'm not trying to like fucking stream comments because they're just off a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's sometimes where like I agree and disagree with his no interference kind of policy. Oh, but yeah, I think yeah. I think I think overall it's it's probably for the, I think overall it's probably for the best. Yeah. Um, I do like how a lot of times neutral, a neutral yeah. stance is probably the way to, way to go. I do like how sometimes he clarifies when like people are like when people are getting like a little bit you know too pitchforky in the comments though he like he sh he sh tamps down on that real quick, which is definitely appreciated. Um, but yeah, that was day one, uh, and then the most important about day one is where we went to dinner that night, um, and we went to a place called uh, Papado's, Papado's, whatever. It was a Cajun mm -hmm. place. Ooh. And we rang up like we rang up like a seven hundred fifty dollar tab or bill, but we just got we just got so much booze and so much <laughs> seafood. We ordered like seven different appetizers and like we all got like we all got like really like we got like like really nice dishes and then right. um, all the gumbo and then. Yeah, and then we got and then we got we got coffee for the table afterwards. Like like a few of us actually like went in. We're like ah screw it, you know. Let's yeah. go. We got desserts too, which is not normally something we like. Most of us do at dinner or whatever. And then we did we did it like the grown up way when the bill came, or we literally just each of us we put we just put six credit cards oh, in. Yeah. And we're just like yeah. we're like just split it. Just yeah. don't. We're not. We're not. We're not going to itemize all that. Yeah. Um. Day two. Um. Trying to remember what I. So day two, I paired into uh, Nick Kiever, a good friend of mine. Um. He was playing Votan. I think that's who I paired into round one. And it's gonna bother me. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up while it's on. Six sags. But yeah, he was running he was running the Sagatar list, and um I played into it. I don't think I played into it as Death Guard, but I was familiar with what they did. Um so I knew a little bit what was going on. I think I could have definitely played this better, and it ended up being like a very close loss. Uh, 93 to 91 because we both had like just so much stuff <laughs> we were just like throwing it at each other um and basically uh it got really close to the end right because I, I kept kind of i'd sticky three of the objectives um and then there was a there was a big ruin that was solid right next to the objective and i had the fight first brick in there and i was just holding the cp to heroic and intervene on it and then he basically kind of like he kind of just took the heroic intervention on the chin at the very end, but he still ended up winning. Um, but that that has actually been really strong. It's like heroically intervening that fight first unit. But the yeah, it was just the the waves, the indirect 
the waves of uh, just plague marines spilling out, the anti-infantry two of flamers everywhere. But I think really the the real big thing that kind of killed me is um, I probably should just tag more stuff. Mm. And I think because they because they can fall back and shoot um, for one CP like one unit. So if you just tag like a thing, it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Um, they don't like spending the CP, but that that army generally like tends to be pretty CP flush right now. Anyhow, like. At the start of like their turn one or turn two, they're gonna have like something crazy like five CP. Yeah, you know yeah. things go according to plan, um, and they can just kind of ride the momentum out. But as soon as you start tagging like two or more things, like it's like okay, well now only one thing can fall back, fall back and shoot. And that's a big deal. Um, and so I during the game we talked about it afterwards. During the game, I had like some rhinos that were just kind of like after they had deposited the plague marines to play the mission, charge and shoot stuff or whatever. I was kind of keeping them behind obscuring because I was like, well, I don't really have a job for these guys right now, but I don't want to lose them because like they're gonna be they're gonna be a fast mobile durable asset for like late game scoring, you know, for doing secondaries, jumping out of the points, that kind of stuff. So I don't want to just like have them in the open getting shot, but I don't really have a job for them either. And in retrospect, like they probably should just been like running up the board, like tagging Sagatars and just try to like, you know, just control his movement and shoot a little bit more. Um, but that was a really good game. He said he said it was he said it was one of the best games he ever had, which I always take as a huge compliment. That's great. Um, so 93-91, Nick. Uh, round four. Yeah, Justin Jones, Grey Knights. Uh, a little bit like an off metal list because he was running um, he was running some uh, some dread knights, which you don't see too much because um, they're durable. They're durable, but like they're shooting their melee is kind of like yeah. It's not what he used to. Be. Eh, it's not. It's, I mean, it will do. It will do damage over time, but it's not going to like, you know, immediately obliterate stuff. Um, and he was running some strikes, and then he was running the two units, two five man units, terminators with librarians. I know librarians will do big damage with the vortexes. Um, and I think this was sites of power. Um, and just I was just trying to make sure like he wasn't running away with the score too much and I was just kind of formed a triangle. That was like kind of my, my plan. The entire event was basically just to form a triangle on three objectives and just and just try to like win the passive game, you know, and like maybe and if they tried to push, then I would just kill like whatever they pushed into me. Um and basically we were just kind of trading back and forth, but because he's playing Grey Knights and I'm playing Death Guard, it was just kind of I was slowly starting to come out ahead on all these trades and I was just starting to get be able to put more and more material onto the objective, the three objectives I was holding, and he was having less and less stuff to answer with. You know, it just kind of became a game of him trying to like keep his librarians alive because they're only thing, they're the only thing they were doing damage to my army. And then there was also like a random turn, like turn three or turn four, where just my dice got a little bit hot and his dice got a little bit cold, and he lost two of his dread knights to just like nothing. Like I think he lost a full a full health dread knight to like indirect shooting. That's crazy. And That's and this entire event, I was accidentally playing my playburst callers as strength six, not strength eight. <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> Is this three three events in a row? Yeah, I, I didn't find out after this event. I'm like, no. So I was playing type. I was playing type. So typus, I found out is strength nine, not strength eight. And playburst callers are strength eight, not strength six. So even wounding these. Play, even yeah. wounding these Dread Knights on fives, That's where I should have been wounding them on threes, he just randomly lost one That's to, like, tough. indirect. Yeah. Um, and then I think 
I can't remember what the other one died to. I think it was like some some mortals and then like a bunch of chip damage from like Meltas and like just random plasma guns and just random ass shooting. And it was already kind of hurt. Um, but yeah, it just it just got to a point where like it was just his army was starting to get a little bit threadbare and it just it just kind of finally snapped. Yeah. You know, and at that point I've been taking like I think I was taking homers and cleanse. <clears throat> and it was just and I just wasn't giving up anything on primary. Yeah, um so ended up winning that like the score of this game, I don't even remember what the score of the game was, um, but I remember it was like the point differential was pretty big. Like it was like 20 something, maybe like 30. And it doesn't really show how close it looked until the end where it was just kind of like it just kind of like broke open. Um, round five, I played Thomas Bird uh, from Pro Tabletop. Uh, big, big name in the kind of like uh, Atlanta uh, slash greater Georgia area. Awesome guy. Just absolute gem of a human being. Um this was chosen battlefield with a fixed center, you know, which I get a little bit nervous on because my army doesn't really do chosen battlefield too well. I just tried to, I tried to go the safe route and just put the objectives relatively close to each other. But like I tried not, I didn't want to get greedy because I was like, I always place the objectives. I'm like, well, what if I lose the roll off and they take my side? Am I going to be happy with that? So I try to keep, I try to keep the battlefield like really fair whenever I do chosen right. battlefield, at least, at least with this army, you know. So I. I'd rather just keep like stuff like the, all the objectives close to each other because like, again I was playing a slow army so I was like I was like if we flip I at least want all the objectives close to each other. Uh, he was running Ultramarine Gladius and with like Marnius Calgar and the Land Raider Redeemer and like big aggressor brick just all the shooting stuff. And turn two, he basically did a no knock a no knock warrant raid on my safe what I thought was my safe objective and he killed like forty percent of my army. Holy and I tried. I tried to call it back, and it just wasn't enough. And then I just died. <laughs> so it was rough. <laughs> it was rough. I'm still like not 100 sure what happened. I just I have never been killed so fast before. That's tough. That's was it thing. like typical, or did you have? Did you run into what your green eye point ran into? It was just like your, your dice are a little cold. His dice are a little hot. It's just a lot. Of uh, it was a combination of that, but I mean, it was just. Uh, I think it was just the fact that he. He all ends me super hard on turn two. He basically he basically committed with everything except for the big aggressor brick. Um, but I mean he lined up the he pulled in the uh the lone gladiator get shots, he put in the redeemer to like push into the center objective, drop its stuff, get shots, but then also cover any kind of recourse with right. with Overwatch, a nasty Overwatch. And then and then it was also like looking into like my safe kind of like no man's land objective. And then he brought in uh, a bunch of inceptors to look in the other side of the safe no man's land objective, and then he um, and then he brought up um, a captain with a bunch of salt intercessors, and the everyone was asked about the salt intercessors, but it was mostly just the delivery mechanism for this captain. Mm -hmm. And then he also uh, did advance in charge with uh, Marnius Calgar, and you know he had them and the Victory Scarred, and then he had the uh, I think he attached them to the Eradicators that came. And he basically pushed out, and this was on Hammer and Anvil, or sorry, no, this was on Dawn of War. So like turn two, like on Dawn of War, if you get aggressive, like you are like in your opponent's yeah. house. Yeah. And that's basically what happened. He just showed up in my house turn two, and he's just like, I'm gonna do a full commitment right here and now. And he basically just cracked like two out of the three rhinos, just picked up like almost everything that was inside. Um, I think he like got to play burst crawler, you know. He just got he just got all sorts of stuff, and at that point, it was just like. I rapid ingress some um 
I rapid ingressed my Terminator brick with Typhus kind of behind him, and I was able to grab um, the the no man's objective on his side and then sticky it in my turn because I I rapid ingressed on it. But at that point, they were just they just had too many jobs to do, and that yeah. that that Terminator unit is not fast enough, and like the shooting is only like twelve inch flamers. You know, it just had too many jobs to do in too many places, and just wasn't enough. Um, so. Great opponent, but yeah, it was just like I wish I could say it was like a long tactical for like five round game, but no, he just killed me turn two and I just died. <laughs> so, so but then but then we went out to um, a place called Papacitos, which apparently is the same chain as Papa Do's, but instead of Cajun, it's Mexican. This place yeah, wasn't this place wasn't as good, but they did offer these incredible uh, meat platters um, mm. with just like shrimp and like. Like shrimp and like lamb and um just all sorts of stuff like that. So we got like you know we got the you know, queso and the uh, and the uh, guac and like some appetizers and everything. But then we just ordered uh, two of these gigantic like fajita like meat platters. I think one of them was a hundred bucks and the other one was one hundred and thirty, which sounds like a lot for a platter, but like split among six people, like it really was not a big deal at all. Um, and you, and so we just we just ate so much, and it was just all meat there was like there was like i think there was like i think there was like rice and beans involved whatever but like no one ate that crap because there was just enough meat for all of us all six of us got full on like meat meat tortillas and margaritas and it was just it was awesome so that was that was a great dinner um day three uh i played against uh a guy playing demons um so another faction i play I play. I haven't. I haven't touched them for a while because um, they took some heavy nerfs, and I kind of didn't really like the playstyle, you know, in tenth edition. But at least I was familiar with the army. Um, this was this was actually a pretty good game. I thought I had this game in the bag after like turn because turn two I got, I was able to lift up um, the corn demon prince with the enhancement, Bellacor and Shalaxi for basically free. Damn. And so I was like, oh, I got this game in the bag. Yeah, let's pick up it's sort of over. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially, like, the big thing is just, like, make sure, like, Shalaxi doesn't drop somewhere where she's, like, just eating up chunks of, of your army uncontested. Army. Like, as long as you can, as you if you can control where she comes down, I think he actually started most of the stuff on the board. Um, which kind of makes sense, because they can do the reposition kind of thing. But still, we just pretty much just slammed right into each other in the middle. Um but if you can control where she goes and what she goes into, and if you can like pick her up without overextending yourself, like you're definitely kind of like set up for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, this was corners, and I basically went towards the center, and I went towards the bottom right objective because he had set up the greater and clean one at the top to push towards my top left objective, and I was like, well, and he deployed that guy kind of early, and I was like, well, I don't. Want- I was like, I don't really want to deal with that guy while the Corn Demon Prince and Shalaxi are alive. So I'm just going to make the decision in deployment to give up that objective. And then I basically decided to basically, I'm like, okay, well, we're just going to turn this into Dawn of War. And I'm going to focus on this bottom right objective instead, which I don't normally like to do because it's kind of far from your, from your deployment zone. But he gave me no choice because he had the Greater and Clean one up there. And I was like, I can't deal with the Greater and Clean one until all the, all the rest of the threats are dead. Um, so I deployed all my, I literally deployed all my rhinos like online looking at that objective and it was like playburst crawlers, playburst crawlers, and then like one rhino and uh the drone went towards the middle. Um but yeah, he sent Sh- Shalaxi 
Shalaxi, Bellacore, and the um, and the Demon Prince, they just wanted the Rhinos, and they killed Rhinos. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Plague Marines popped out. Next turn, I, just, I killed... I, I just literally just killed all that. Um, but then he started moving the... He brought down the Changeling where the Greater Kuna was, and he pushed the Greater Kuna up, and he started flaming with his, like, vomit and stuff like that, you know, and shooting with the flail, and he kind of pushed him towards the center, and, like, and he basically positioned that guy to kind of be, like, a durable center um, Overwatch threat, you know? And now, because a lot of my guys were, like, out of the the Rhinos, it was, like, it was kind of a credible threat. Yeah. Um, And between that guy and the... um, the Soul Grinder with the Slanesh gun, which is very good at picking up Marine equivalents, he was actually able to really chew up the 10-man fight versus Brick, which is my hardest hitting unit. Um, because I didn't even I ended up overcommitting to kill the three big boys, which I was happy that I killed the three big boys, but the 10-man 10-man playbring unit like didn't really even like have to activate in combat. I ended up killing Shalaxi to shooting. Um, so they were just kind of like on the center of objective for no reason, and they're not that durable. It's just 10 plague marines and then two characters, so it's Functionally, 14 T5 TAC Marine equivalents. So he just completely fucked it up with shooting. And now I'm like, okay, well, now I have so a bunch of wounded playburn units, three playburst crawlers, Typhus, and the Terminators to deal with this greater and clean one, and a soul grinder, Celesque, and the Changeling. And I'm like, I'm like, ooh, this is actually maybe not as in the bag as I thought. Mm-hmm. Um so I was, you know, doing grenades and doing typhus into the greater and clean one, and I basically got the, the terminators into combat with, and I was spending every single CP I had to like just do the lethal hits, exploding hits, lethal hits, exploding hits to try to just really kind of drag down this um, this greater and clean one. And the game came down to kind of like the very end of the game. I the greater and clean one was on three wounds, and I I took assassinate, bring it down. So I saw the opportunity to close it out. Um, but this this was purge the foe, so you get a you get four primary points for killing something. So I set up a bunch of shooting at a unit of nerglings to secure the kill one, and then I was like, okay, well the rest of the damage is going to go to the greater clean one, and then that'll be you know kill one, maybe I'll kill two things, he'll kill one, you know I'll get I'll get assassinate, I'll get bring it down, like we're gonna be we're gonna be good. And just this is where the mental fatigue and photo- uh, the mental fog and fatigue kind of kicked in. I just forgot to to kill the Nerdwing unit, and I put all the damage in the Greater Clean one, and oh. like lived on one wound. Oh. And I was like, "Oh crap!" I was like, "So now, not only did I not get the four points for kill one, but if he kills any of my wounded Plaguey units, he gets kill one, kill more. That's eight point swing plus whatever he draws in secondary, and he has end of round scoring for turn five. Right. Um, so." I ended up killing. He let the Greater Unclean one in combat. I ended up killing it in combat, but he was in a very good position to kill two units. And so I, I had put a lot of my wounded plague ring units in rhinos to try to like deny him points on this. Um, but he drew, I think, uh, extend battle lines and storm hostile, and he basically. I had a unit of five plague marines on my bottom right objective that were exposed. They were kind of ringed around to zone out the three-inch uh, deep strike stratagem that demons have. But the objective was sticky. And he moved uh, his skull cannon to shoot them. And he dropped Celeste nine inches away because it wasn't he, did, he didn't have shadows in No Man's Land because I controlled mm-hmm. two objectives. Uh, and he was going to go for a nine-inch charge. And... 
he shot and he was he basically declared that he was going to shoot them with a skull cannon. I was like, I was like, put the clock on me. Let me just think about this for a little bit because I was considering using cloud of flies on to make a minus mm-hmm. one to hit. But I was like, well, if he just bangs this nine, Celeste will. I mean, the, with the big axes hitting on threes, but it's a lot of attacks. If he does any shooting damage on the way in, I was like, there's a real good chance that he just kills this unit with Celeste. Um, it could definitely happen. So I was kind of sort of thinking, I'm like, I'm like, well, that's if he makes the charge. And then I was like, ooh, I was like, what if, what if I make him not make the charge? And I was like, well, the skull can's only AP1. I'm in cover right now. I'm like, ooh, I had one CP. So I'm like, okay, hey, I'm going to pop, uh, go to ground. I pass the clock over to him. And he's like, that gives you cover? I'm like, yeah, it gives me cover, but it also gives me a six-up invul. So he starts shooting a skull can. He rolls like something decent, like seven shots, where like mm-hmm. that, like like four wounds or three wounds, whatever. And he rolls like four wounds. I take all the saves on my invul instead of my three up armor save. And I fail well, three out of the I maybe? fail three out of the four, pick up three of the plate marines. Okay. He's now he's now out of, Celeste is now out of shooting and charge range. And deny him the kill, uh deny him the objective. He doesn't get any of the secondaries and I managed to claw that call that win out. Oh, it, was, it was certainly going to be like a five point loss, and it ended up being like a like a twelve point win. Big uh, brain, round, yeah. And then round seven, I got really big brain because I played the uh, Death Guard Mirror, and he was running um, very similar list to me, but he was running with Chaos Knights, and he was running a little bit more MSU. Uh, he had two units of Nerdlings. He had Typhus Solo. He had a, a Lord of Contagion, which gives full hit rerolls to uh, Terminators attached to a melee. He had that attached to three Deathwing Knights. Not Deathwing Knights, uh, Destro <laughs> Terminators. Mm-hmm. And then he was running, um, and his list was like almost exactly the same as mine besides that, except he had one Plague Burst car with the Flamers, and then he had one Brigand and two Carnivores. And I was a little bit, I was kind of a little bit like, okay, two Carnivores is kind of interesting. But then like after I played it, I after we played each other, I actually really liked it because again, the Death Guard list don't have a credible source of tank shock. Um, and then when you when you eat three grenades, when you eat three grenades, a super spike from Typhus, and then a tank shock from a carnivore, you're kind of like, okay, now this makes sense. Um, and I mean, they move. They they also move 14 inches, and so the army stays fast all game long because you have a random drone flying around moving 10 inches will fly you have the rhinos moving 12 you know plague marines have a, a um the plague marines have can move like you know they have a threat range of 20 inches for melee out of that because three plus five plus 12 so 20 inch out of a rhino uh, for shooting uh you got one of the knights is moving 12 two of the knights are moving 14 the list is actually like deceptively fast um, and then, you know, you have the deep strike with the Nurglings, rapid ingress from Typhus and the Terminators, who I was able to keep Typhus out of my backfield, but it's kind of like a little tech piece where people will run Typhus solo because his his ability to do D6 mortals doesn't count as any sort of attack or whatever. So he can just sit in your backfield targeting people with D6 mortals within 18 inches while still also scoring four points of homer in your back turn. Wow. And he's annoying to kill because he's a T6, six wound Terminator. Yeah. So, um, the real thing that, like, basically what happened here is this was supply ground, and this was, like, the worst timeline because it was Death Guard Mirror, and the middle objective disappeared first. Then my top left objective disappeared, and the bottom right objective was the one that stayed. 
And he had enough MSU and speed where he kind of basically went three lanes, and I basically had to see the top left objective. So I was like, I don't have enough units. Can't get out there, yeah. Just I don't have enough units to contest this, right. like with because you need to be able to contest for like all three objectives for like two waves to really make a difference. Because if you just contest for like one wave and they and they deny it, then you just lose all those assets yes, for free, yeah. and you you just throw units away. So I focused on the middle. The middle one and then the bottom right, the one that was going to stay permanently. And he took Homer's cleanse, and I probably should have took Homer's cleanse too, but I took Homer's bring it down, which ended up kind of being a mistake because mm-hmm. uh, he spread so far on the vehicles. And also, I dropped my Terminators. Um, one, I was a little bit sloppy where I dropped them down, and they caught some shooting from the uh, Plagueburst 2-up infantry flamers that they totally didn't have to get shot mm-hmm. by. Um, and I had lost a Terminator to that. Two, they were kind of between the objective. They were between the center objective and the objective I was seeding, when really I should have just doubled down the objective that was going to stay there for the end game. Um, and so that was and that was kind of basically it. Um, oh, Also, I, I tried to tie up a, a wounded Plaguebrain unit with a Rhino that was full health. And he ended up just killing the full health rhino with like three plague brains. I was like, well, that shouldn't have happened, but I totally, sh- I totally should have respected the fact that it could have. So basically, um, his list was better than mine for this mission. I am going to try mm-hmm. out his list. I'm not sure if I like it. I'm not sure if I like giving up two plague burst crawlers, but I did. I, he definitely sold me on the carnivores. So that was kind of cool. Um, but his list was better than mine for this mission. This mission was darkest timeline because the middle object disappeared first, and it favored his. It favored his list more than mine. I made a mistake in secondaries, and I made two mistakes in the game. Uh, one, the placement of the terminators, and two, the charge with the rhino. Um, that just had a very small benefit, but had a huge risk margin that I didn't mm-hmm. respect. You know, and basically that and he, he played really well, and that was all those things accumulated to like to a loss. And so I ended up four and three. Um, but I had every single one of my opponents was, was a great opponent. I thought I had great games. The entire event was great. Um, Atlanta Airport sucks. Atlanta's <laughs> and Atlanta is terrible to drive through, but I'll definitely go back towards Atlanta. Yeah, but that was uh that was my that was my event. It was really good. That's cool, man. That sounds like a great event. All good, like good games, too. It's like mm-hmm. Yeah, weirdly enough, my easiest games were on the my first day, which was the tryhard bracket. Right. None of my games were easy after that. They were all like, we were. It felt like we were all kind of like in the same like kind of power level. Mm-hmm. So it was good. But that's a, that's a good feeling. That's what all events should feel like. I love I love that war dog tech. That's nice. That's cute. Yeah, I, I'll War-Dog be honest. Like, everyone's always like, everyone's always like, oh, triple brigand. And whenever I run triple brigand uh, with death guard, it you it feels like you're really open. It feels like you're very vulnerable to fast melee coming through walls. And kind of getting into you mm-hmm. and it, it just feels but when he was running i and we talked about that he was like yeah i kind of felt the same thing but i switched over to the carnivores and now i get more speed now i get now on on a go turn i get a fifth viable source of mortals because you know you do four grenades typhus and then you tank shot for the carnivore yeah. like someone something's dying pick something um, yeah yeah and you get you get a really good melee unit on top of it he's like he's like yeah having He's like, I like having the one brigand, you know, as a way to like demech people, but like the carnivores have just been fantastic. 
He's like, when you, when you start having like the Terminators with the Lord of Contagion with the rerolls, the enhancement, you have the fight first brick, you know, and then you have like carnivores. He's like, it, it just, it gets crazy. I'm like, yeah, I can totally see it. The, co the cost is you lose, you lose the, uh, the indirect of two playburst crawlers, but he's like, I do like the one playburst crawler because the one playburst crawler with the Rhino is like one of the best home field objective holders in the game. I was like, yeah, I totally agree with that. So I like this a lot. Someone try it out. Cool. That was it. Cool. Let's say I think this is a good time to run into questions. So we do we have fewer questions, but some of them definitely seemed a little more involved. I definitely okay. want to get takes on some of them. All right, all right, all right. So oh, someone posted a list in here. We'll leave that to the end. Um from <laughs> I don't know if it's Hosea or Josiah. I apologize if I am absolutely butchering your name. Um Hosea Gattle. Yeah. yeah, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, he says, I am relatively new to Warhammer, having played for about six months. I did my first RTT about three weeks ago, which was a lot of fun going one win, two losses. His one, his win was in the Grey Knights. His losses were the Chaos Knights and Eldar with triple triple Knight Spinner. Is that triple Wraith Knight and a single Spinner? Or is that like a Knight and three Spinner? I don't know. Triple Knight. But it's still Eldar. It's, yeah, it's Eldar. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And, <laughs> Uh, I learned a lot about the gap between me and truly going X and 1. I play Black Templars. That's a good army right now. Uh, I took too long at the table with switching units and knowing profiles. How do you balance between unique units for specific problem solving and speed memorization of the list? Oh, there's going to be a multi-card question. Okay, well, let's bring it down right there. Uh, if you are that new, uh, six months, then I think... Um, Think of it as like uh, like Warhammer 101, like Warhammer 102. Uh, unique units for specific problem solving. That's something that comes way down the road, Later, yeah. in my opinion. So I think, I think you know, you need to have some anti tank for for obviously for high toughness targets and vehicles and monsters. You know, you need to have um, you need to have some high volume stuff so that way you don't just completely like throw your hands up the air when you run into like just 120 orc boys or like mid swarm or something like that, you know, somewhere where you need a lot of volume. Um, but if you start getting like deep, 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 deep into the weeds of like the techie stuff, like for it's, there's a lot of ways for that to go wrong. Um, one, it really requires a little bit of like meta mastery of knowledge. Um, and you also have to really kind of like recognize like, well, how likely am I going to run into like that list and archetype and unit at the event I'm going to. And again, if you're inexperienced, there's a real possibility that like you can get that, you can guess incorrectly or get that wrong. Also an RTT pairings at RTT are generally pretty volatile. So you just might, if there's enough people like you and the guy that you think you're going to have to go through just may, ne may just never play into each other. And you end up like, a larger RTTs is really common just to have like three undefeated, two undefeated, something like that. So you just might not play each other. Um, there's also the the fact that like if you're newer, you might your unit might be out of position and it might get picked up before it ever actually gets to deal with the unit you brought it for, even if you get the pairing that you're hoping to get, you know, or that you're hoping to avoid, but you brought a unit just in case you get it. Um, you will get more bang for your buck if you're new by just generally having an idea of how your list works, building in redundancy, building a little bit of raw power, and just having a generic game plan going forward. Like for my my 
um, the Death Guard list I was running, it has a good matchup into a lot of armies because generally the game plan is my default mode is I'm going to take minus one save, I'm going to drive my army onto three objectives, and I'm going to take cleanse homers. And that was like my default game plan for just everything. And then I was using kind of like, you know, meta matchup knowledge and then just watching for mistakes to kind of go from there. But if you start making like, if you start getting to like these lists that are just like creative problem solving for every single matchup, but you don't actually have the experience in all these matchups, you're going to be having to think on the fly and you're going to be playing basically like a turn or two behind. Um, and that's a lot to ask of someone um, in a game that's complicated if you've only been playing for six months. So it is, especially if you're trying to learn, I like redundancy and raw power um, because you can, if you bring too many guns and you bring too many killing units, those units can still do actions and sit on objectives. But if you bring too many tech choices and too many mission playing units, if someone pushes into you and disrespects you because they really look at your list and they see you do no damage, you don't actually have a way to fight them off at that point. Yeah. Also, if you bring one-offs of units and that unit gets caught out of position and dies, that that dimension of your army is just gone. Um, whereas if you if you bring Black Templars, if you bring three Sword Brethren units and you put and you bring three transports from them to go in and you bring Helbert and two captains and you attach them all to it, it's like Oh boy. They have they have to commit to crack a transport and then kill whatever's inside. And that takes a real commitment. And then now whatever they committed to kill that is exposed. And you but they've only killed a third of your forward-facing units. Now they have to eat they now are going to get charged by the two other sword brethren units and get shot by whatever shooting support you also brought. You know, and that's I really like these lists where it's like three hammer units, three transports, and then like three shooting units to back it up. It's not exciting, but that is a fantastic archetype right now to learn how to play Warhammer. And it's like as long as you take homers and then whatever your opponent gives up, or homers and cleanse, or just say, screw it. You know, I have MSU. Black Templars is a great unit, um, army to do MSU with because you can cut back to like maybe two sword brethren units. And then bring a bunch of crusaders and scouts and rhinos, and you can just play tactical, and you can actually do really well. Um, there's a black tumblers are a fantastic, fantastic army right now for you to build like these really redundant style lists yeah, that can bring a lot of raw damage, but can also still play like tactical or fixed. And just as long as you can just develop a raw game plan, that's better than going like trying to chase down these little tech pieces. Be a lot of flex, pretty durable. Hit yep. super hard. Hit super mm. hard. Um, yeah, they, but, Black Templars hit real hard. Right? Uh, we were talking about this. Um, I don't remember I mentioned it pre-show or like in the show, but like Black Templars are basically the imperial version of Chaos Space Marines, yeah. and they 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 emulate that playstyle and that archetype extremely well, just with loyalist shooting. Yeah. Um, man, they hit so hard. So that's what I would, that's what I would recommend. That's what I recommend is just build redundancy and power, and then try to try to when you build those redundancy, that's less data sheets you have to memorize, and just kind of learn like just kind of learn generally how much punishment your units can take and how much punishment they can get out, and just try to line that up appropriately. Be like, and then as you get reps in, you're going to be like, okay, well, turn one, I'm going to push up, I'm going to get homers with the transport. 
I'm going to stage all my stuff. I'm going to like have my dreads ready to step out in the firing lanes and then I'm going to pass turn. And that's, that should take you as long as you get like that deployment, you get that kind of play pattern down. That, that'll take you like two minutes, you know, if even. So you're going to have a very fast turn one. And that gives you more time on the clock for turn two and turn three when the game really starts. Um, and then as you kind of get those reps, especially if you're playing with the same units over and over again, you're going to be like, okay, well, this unit takes once it takes one one redemptor shooting and then a sword brethren charge to finish off generally this unit's a little bit tougher it takes two redemptors and one sword brethren unit this unit's a little bit tougher it takes two redemptors shooting it and two sword brethren units going into it or it takes the hellbrick unit you know it just takes a little bit more and if you kind of like just reduce your unit count um it just it's gonna be so much easier i'm sorry i'm like ranting and rambling a little bit right now but like that's kind of what i would just really recommend is just really focus drooling down on your best units and building that building out that core of like those three to four like solid units that are going to print money every single time they activate and as you get more comfortable with the army that's when you start kind of expanding out to these other little things yeah Josiah, i think given that you've been playing for six months it's sick that you got a win at an event at your first event that you went to um one and then two i think a lot of the other questions that you've got here are things that are just naturally going to develop over time like you'll know where your units do you know what the stats are you'll get better decision making um that stuff like thankfully is just a matter of playing the game and like you're already you're already doing it you're already you're already doing it so yep uh how do you balance firepower screening melee and list building uh the easiest answer honestly is i would just crib someone else's notes on this um you can go to uh, one of the guys from Stat Check uh, in our Discord, Frank. He does a thing called Dirt Sheets, where it's just he basically shows how often everything shows up. Honestly, if you cross-reference his material with ours, and then with the Wednesday articles that Goonhammer has on like what's winning and the breakdowns of the list, between those three data sources, like you, sh there shouldn't be like any miss for any army that's in the top eighty percent of the meta. Um, there shouldn't be any mystery. And you don't have to netlist an entire list, although I would recommend it, especially if you're newer. Um, but like at least netlist con like concepts. Like people mm -hmm. will talk, people a lot of times will talk about like a, a set of units that support each other as like a package. So when we're building a death guard list, um, a package would be two units of five plague marines, a biologist attached to one of those units, and then the rhino for all eleven of those guys to ride in. That's a package. Um, if for some whatever reason you have some sort of aversion to net listing, um, you just you want to be unique, you want to put your own spin on it. Maybe you have like a maybe it's like a model thing because you're getting you're new to the hobby, you've only been playing for six months, you know, the hobby is expensive, you're not quite there yet with your collection. Um, try to identify these packages over and over that are showing up over and over winning lists. And if you can't bring over the whole list, at least try to identify what the winning packages that people are bringing and bring some of those over. Uh, so for Black Templars, a lot of that is like Helbert and Black Templars and like a Land Raider Redeemer or, or like an Impulsor for them ride it, you know, a Captain um, and then some and then some Black Templars to ride it, you know, like a Redemptor or two to kind of serve as like anchor units. Um, I've seen people like do a lot of stuff with like Crusaders and Scouts running around in Rhinos to be like a credible low level slash mid level like escalation tool that can also play like missions. And like can fight your trash and get threatened with like random multi deltas and stuff like that. Um, so if you can identify those packages that show and those like net lists that show over and over again, like I would just do that. But firepower and screening, I would say 
it's probably better just to go max firepower, get some games in, and be like, okay, well, now I need some screens. So, and then you kind of work your way backwards from there. But I would say at minimum, I would just say two screening units, like two units of scouts, or like you know, scouts and cursors, something like that. Like when I run Chaos Knights, I run two units of Nurglings minimum. Um, and that lets you kind of screen out like pregame moves or melee or something like that. And then you go firepower. And then you kind of see if you can go further from there. But the, the short answer is honestly just to to copy what works and just a nut list. Mm-hmm. But also, like I said, if you it's gonna come with experience. Yeah. Spam under cost and output is the way. But you know, it takes time to recognize what the Yeah, exactly. Output. Like if you if you just spam under cost of shooting units, you actually you'll actually just have a positive win rate. So that's <laughs> that's the real secret that that's the real secret that Art of War doesn't want you to know. Um, will you will you will that be enough for you to win majors no will that be enough for you to like have a solid 60 percent win rate for the rest of your 40k career yes yes yeah um i have never played into i think he's saying or i've never played into imperial knights or chaos knights so messed up deployment and movement first term what do you do when you've not had reps or a lot of reps in the army unfortunately there's just not really you can kind of mitigate like you can kind of like set up for a soft landing but there's no, there's no reason why people talk about reps so much. Just because it's like the best learning experience. Um, don't don't treat your event as like as the end all be all. Like just I tr- I treat every single one of my events as practice for my next event. The next one. Um, exactly. So that chaos. If that was your first matchup in the Chaos Knights, you probably learned a lot. Um, you probably learned about how fast that army truly is. You know, like the fact that like, oh, it has the speed to go around walls, but it can also just go through walls um, and models. (laughs) And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this army that moves 12 and shoots 24 and has a 36 inch threat range, a 36 inch threat range on a board that's 60 inches by 44 means you're probably everything that's not in your everything that's not in the ruin in your home uh, home deployment zone is probably getting shot. You know, especially if you are, I don't know what kind of terrain you're playing on locally, but that's assuming like good terrain. If you're playing on like an RTT and it's like someone just put a bunch of like, like aquarium, like fish tank stuff on there, like, man, I'm sorry, you're, you're going to get shot shit. But even on like WTC boards and, and GW, like they can get angles. Um, so definitely, definitely some learning experiences there. But when you are trying to mitigate that initial blow, the best thing you can do is probably look up the meta list and play a game called Spot the Synergy. Um, so, you know, go into go into the Stat Check Discord, go into the channels for the armies that you want to learn about, find out what everyone's buzzing about. Like right now, Necrons, everyone's buzzing about race. Why are they buzzing about race? What do they do? Technomancers, why are they buzzing about that? Why are they talking about it? Catan. Uh, what do they do? Why is everyone so? Why are all the Necron players so excited about that? This uh, immortal bomb I keep hearing about. What does that do? What detachment is all this in? So, like right there, those are four units that everyone's talking about. If you don't know, when I'm listing off those units, if you don't know why I listed them off, you need to find out why. Mm-hmm. Is really the, the answer, um, especially like new books that like if a if a book has a new codex and people are excited about it. Guess what? People are going to bring that to the event because it's the new exciting thing, especially if they think it's good. 
Um, so right there is some real easy reading that should take you like maybe like 15, 20 minutes. You can go on Wadpedia, you can go in Guggenheimer articles. You don't have to memorize the exact stat line, but you have to understand what the data sheet does at the very basic data sheet level. And then how do the characters, supporting units, detachments, and army rules and stratagems synergize that and like kind of take it to the next level. Um, once you learn that, you can kind of like guess, be like, okay, well, this army is going to like move up and be hypermobile, or this army is going to move up and take space and be durable on the midboard. And then any kind of response I have, it's going to like shoot me or charge me or whatever, or it's going to teleport immortals around, do like 20 devil wounds to my army, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> if you at least know generically about what the opponent is going to do, um, you can kind of like have you can kind of have like mitigating plans for that. You may not have good context for how hard individual units hit because you haven't played against it before. But at least you know, like, okay, well, this unit's gonna this unit's gonna buff this unit and then attach this character to like make it do X, and then it's gonna teleport over and it's gonna shoot stuff. This unit's gonna push in the middle. It's gonna be durable. This unit here is gonna move away the first time I target it or the first time I try to like get within nine inches of it. Just like little things like that. But there's really no solution for reps. Just Honestly, play as much as you can. Yeah. You can also take advantage of all like the ridiculous explosion and content creation for Rhyme or 40k on the competitive end. Like you're like, if you know you're gonna play somebody who's playing against the faction, you're unfamiliar with it, just like look up, did Art of War do like a rundown of this codex? Did they do a rundown of the index? Did somebody in stat check discord do it? Did um did Art of War down under do a new codex review where they invited a faction expert on to talk about what they're seeing in it? Like that sort of stuff that you can passively listen to um you're like oh that's what immortals do oh canoptic rates with a five up feel no pain and four wounds and a good armor save yep. and high toughness and blah, 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 he's blah, a little blah. bit inconsistent on when he shows up um and i know some people say his voice puts him to sleep but um aspects tactics i mean that guy is like the king he's of short form he's the king of short form content you know yeah. like <laughs> the guy the guy literally just makes very concise to the point powerpoints and then reads them yeah um which is great especially if you're like you're kind of like if you for me i have like a super short unless i'm like hyper focused on something i have like a short attention span so it's kind of nice to just load up all specs tactics and be like oh he has a video about this thing i've been curious about i just haven't had time to look it up i'll load up his video and i'll literally move the slider i'll be like uh-huh 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 boom it takes me like 10 seconds you know, you just read like three, four slides, and you're like, okay, got it. So stuff like that is godsend. Um, good. Art of War. I mean, don't, if you have the luxury to watch like a three-hour stream game, like by all means, do it. They, those guys have a lot to teach you. But for me, what I do is when I, when I watch the their stream games, I just move that slider all the way to basically when when one of the guys is standing at the table like this. <laughs> that I I move the slider to that exact point. Because that's when they're about to talk out the final round of the game, and they're both going to kind of like reflect on what they thought going into the game that they were right about and what they thought about the game that they were wrong about, and then any kind of changes to their gameplay or list that they're going to make going forward. And that, for me, that is like where 90% of the insight is. So, and then if I really need extra con context, I'll go back and like if they're talking about like a specific play or something like that, I might go back. To like that point of the video and just kind of like watch it unfold with that 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 knowledge of what they were talking about but that's just what i do just to kind of speed run it is i just go to the very end where they just kind of talk about because you know how like after two people play warhammer 
they always kind of talk about like, oh yeah, we'll just kind of blah, 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 blah. Art of War guys <laughs> do that too. And that stuff is actually super insightful. So that's that's what I would recommend. Yeah. Keep playing. You're doing it. Yep. Uh, from Griggs, custodies are trashed here, but there's Slate and Codex coming soon. Is now the best time for me to start building the army? And if so, what should my first 2,000 points be? Yes, it is the uh, best time. <laughs> yes, it's the best time. It is a loaded question. I think a big part of custodies' numbers right now is just faction abandonment. You know, there's just... People ditch. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much the, all the people that were really carrying the win rate super hard have just moved on to other stronger stuff. Um, does it mean Custodes is truly a like 43% win rate army? No, it's that's probably closer to a 49% win rate army. But it's just all the really strong players have just moved off it. Yeah. And so now you just have like people who are casual, people who don't make get as many games in, you know, like people who maybe struggle in list building, but there's no like real strong player to like copy like known concepts off of. So they're kind of like they're kind of rudderless at the like the the list building stage, you know, or like they don't have matchups stuff like that. But um, a, a Jack, we we had a Team USA meeting uh, earlier today, and then afterwards, um, a couple of us were hanging around, and uh, and Jack Harpster was had played uh, Custodes recently into John. I don't know if this was a stream game or not, uh, but he had played Custodes into. Uh, John running CK. I think John was running 12 War Dogs and Jack was running three bricks of Wardens and a brick of Custodian Guard. And I think he had, I think he had, I think his characters were attached to the bricks were Curio Draxus, yeah. Captain, yeah. and then two, and then two of the uh, Blade Champs. Yeah. And I don't know what else was on the list, but like, yeah. He was he was saying like yeah he's like I don't remember he won or lost but he's like he's like yeah he's like after playing it he's like custodians are way better than I thought they were yeah. um oh he also had two Cladius he's like I love the Cladius um he's like Kyria Draxus was and that unit was doing dirty 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 things to the knights that unit's um, fucking insane the output out yeah, of that unit's unit good so the thing is like the the ar the army is good it's just there's there's like a thermocline of like fat of the month kind of thing where it's like. Yeah best players that are trying to win events are going to take the best things they can, or they're going to take something that's like slightly below, but they think is getting like under-respected to try to counter the best things, you know, because you don't want to play. No one wants to be like the 13th best, best Eldari player in the room when they go to a super major. So a lot of times they'll just take something that's like a little bit down They're like, okay, well maybe I'll have a little bit of a matchup advantage here where people don't know my army, but I know theirs, yeah. you know, and they'll, they'll try to do that thing. But there's a certain point where it just, an army is good, but it's just not good enough to make up for the raw power level that you're going to have at the top table um, day three undefeated of a major tournament, you know? And so you kind of have like two different thermoclines. You have like the one where like all the elite players stop playing your army because your army is good, but it's not good enough to go against other elite players playing the best stuff undefeated day three of a super major. It's just not. It's still good, but it's not insane yeah. so you'll have a bunch of people shift off the army at that point and when those people shift off you'll see a noticeable dip in the win rate as the elite players aren't playing it anymore and then you have like all and then but that armies those armies are still very capable of like podiuming in majors winning gts winning rtts and then you'll have and then there's a point where the army gets nerfed enough 
where all those people that are podiuming majors, winning RTTs, winning GTs, if they have multiple armies, they're like, okay, this army is good, but this is still like a lot of work. And so then they jump off it. And that at that point, you just have the the people that only play one faction, the people that are more casual, like that kind of stuff. And there's no there's no one, it's like a ship with like no one at the wheel anymore. And so like there's people on board, but there's no one to follow. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no example. Yep. And so at that point, it just becomes rudderless, you know. And so that's kind of where we're at with custodies. I think and in- so yeah, you'll, you'll see it with certain armies. Like someone, someone will like take another look with fresh eyes, and the army will be like, "Oh, hey, why is no one messing with this? These rules are actually pretty good." And just out of nowhere, you'll see someone come up with like a B tier army and start winning events, and then people start copying that, and you'll see the win rate climb as people hop back onto that faction again. Hi, CSM. <laughs> um, I think, of, that is kind of what happened with CSM. Yeah, Griggs. The thing, the so the the issue with custodians now is that they went from like being having the best defense against dead wounds to like being the absolute worst victims of it right because you went from like cool we've got a four up no matter what in these armor saves we're like we're, we're good against all the things to like actually don't get our armor saves and that's like probably 40 percent of the cost of each of the model getting built in and dead wounds is too prevalent in the game in the highest performing factions right now which also happen to be the most popular ones for you to have a chance into those at like a gt um, so like that's why you're going to see like either durability on demand through wardens, durability through not being able to get shot at, Kyria Draxus with the unit of custodian guard, or durability by not being present on the board, which is going to be like Turney's uh, Venetari. So most lists that you see that are attempting to be functional will include at least one custodian guard unit that unit will be accompanied by Kyria Draxus, at least one unit of wardens that unit usually be accompanied by either a blade warden or a shield captain, usually a blade warden, because um, they can move real fast up the board and on the turn where you're like potentially subject to damage, you're like, cool, I've got four feel no pain against everything this turn, off we go. Um, and they've got like toughness or incoming strength reduction or incoming wound roll reduction ability. And, or you have like um, Alaris Terminators that are rapid ingressing down and like getting after it. It is, uh, and they're still like good. Like that army's real good, so long as you're able to dodge getting smashed on by dev wounds. Um, like if you're like that's still tough, I think, to world leaders between two competent players. Uh, not like favored, but like a not a like slam dunk, like uh, world leaders in some other matchups. It's just you know, they're prop they're overcosted given their current durability. And all the things that work best against them are prevalent in the matter right now you can go win an rtt with them i think yeah sure. yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. output is also insane like the anti-vehicle damage i think that's crazy it's just yeah it's like a flavor with a 48 inch range yep which that brings me to uh the second half of uh we kind of i'm i'm the worst at like rambling going off the tangents but that brings me to the second half of that question um yes now is the best time for you to start building an army your first two thousand points uh i would Unfortunately, that boarding patrol had like a limited run of like seven boxes and it just disappeared before <laughs> I got a chance to buy it because that boarding patrol was insane. It was but, crazy. Um, the combat patrol is pretty decent. I would highly recommend buying, um, flushing out your collection of all like the plastic models. I would honestly, I would honestly be surprised if bikes didn't get some sort of love 
in January because because they've been bad. They've been bad all audition. Um, and they time. they've they've called they've actually called out custodies as like they're like, hey, we came down a little too hard on custodies. Um, which again, I think most of that is being masked. I think a lot of that is being masked by um their abandonment. So so keep in mind, custodies are down here and GW thinks they're down here. Well, really, custodies are kind of like here and GW thinks they need to be here. So what's gonna happen is so like I said, they're here. They're actually here. People think they're down here. And so when GW brings them up, this is what's really going to happen. <laughs> GW thinks they're going to be GW thinks they're going to be here post data slate, but really they're going to be up here yeah. because they're actually they're actually kind of masking how good they are. Um which is so if you can kind of like jump on it right now, um while there's not a huge demand for models, you know, like you could probably also buy like some models for cheap right now. Um, I would probably start with like two combat patrols and then flush it out with like some Terminators, buy some Imperial agents. Uh, the Calidus assassin is kind of evergreen, but I would say like it, it's probably worth buying the other assassins too, maybe some Inquisitors. Um, get some uh, Blade Champs, at least two. Those aren't in any of the bundle boxes, so you're definitely going to want to get them before. Because if Custodies end up being fat of the month, good luck getting a Blade Champ. Those are going to sell out. And you're not going to see them for a couple months. You know, you so can, it's better just better if, to get them early. If, if you can find that Gene Sealer Colts versus Custodies box set from a while back, randomly in a store, my FLGS really yeah, won, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy this now. Cool. Uh, there you go. Sell off the GSD, make your money back. You keep the Custodies half. That's that's all units that you're going to want. Yeah, but I would um so I would I would try to buy like the the you know some blade I would start with two combat patrols two blade bar, blade guard uh, champs maybe a pack or two of terminators um get some get some agents and I know I'm not going to direct people towards alternative sources for four toward models but I would definitely look into getting a Caladius tank or two because since it's just, in my experience, once the Castellan went away in mid eighth edition, the Cladius had been kind of like an evergreen, yeah, good unit to have. So I would get one to two Cladius, and then I would get someone. I would get. I would basically try to find a way to get the other turret because they don't sell both turrets with the tank. Yeah, if, you want, if you have the blaze cannon and you want the auto cans, you need to buy a whole separate tank. Unless you get a 3D printed one, or you get a like a recast one, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I would I would recommend getting buying the Cladius tank with the Blaze cannon. That's the anti vehicle ones. And then if the auto cannons become meta, like get someone to 3D print you a turret, or like try to find an alternate source of just the turret alone, and don't glue the turret down. Just magnetize it or friction fit it. Yep. But those Cladius tanks have. They've been good for like they've honestly been good for a while, and they and when they're bad, they don't stay bad for long. Yeah. Always have a two up save. They always hit on two. Yes. Yeah. Always have long range. It's just good. The tel the Telemons have come and gone. The um, the Pilatus have come and gone. The the all the different contemptors have come and gone. But the Caladius, those things have been good, and they've been good often. So that's what I would recommend. Uh, I can't really point you to a specific uh, specific list. Right now, I would say right now, triple wardens and a unit of custodian guards. So you have four bricks. Seems pretty yeah. good, but in January, this is all going to change. Yep. 
Um, from Grant, thoughts on getting out of a painting slash hobby rut? I've been in a bit of a funk since getting laid off. Uh, my apologies, man. Thoughts are with you. Uh, it's been affecting a lot of stuff in my life. Desire to paint among them. I've already done things like tidy my hobby desk and put things away I'm not actively working on. But are there any other tips, advice you all have for pushing through? I tried using the deadline of an upcoming event, but I ended up with list paralysis and ended up dropping out the initial layoff happened. Right I now, go you go first. Go I, was first. Say, I have <laughs> my advice might be bad here. When I stop enjoying painting or hobby stuff, I just like stop doing it and either pivot to a different hobby project or just like put it down for a little bit because that's where I derive. The majority great call on the forge world units that's the that's like where i derive the majority i think of my joy from the hobby it's just like ah sit down paint this void dragon got a nice i, I called up i call it the cladius specifically because i think that's the exception to the forge world unit rule because that thing has been perennially good for like the last six years yeah off and just, on. like it's it's it just keeps it just keeps coming back i just don't I, it also fills a role that nothing else in that army really fills like, don't buy that Atari, don't buy a Telemon, but like you can you feel pretty safe about it, ladies. Um, so Grant, yeah, man, like if it's not fun, if what you're doing right now isn't fun, switch to a different set of models. This is at least what I would do. I'd switch to a different set of models that I think will be fun, or do a different thing, like assemble instead of painting, prime instead of like um brushing, use an airbrush instead of like standard acrylics, do some weird oil work or OSL work, you know, like find a different thing to try that's exciting. And if those aren't fun, then just like, just don't, just wait. Just don't wait until it's fun again. Uh, yeah, I would I would agree the same thing. So normally under normal circumstances, like, yeah, the using deadlines as a stressor is a good motivator. But right now, like you have such, you've had such a like life-changing kind of thing happen. Don't that I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you should be because normally normally a negative stressor can be a good motivator, but I think in your current your specific situation, you don't want to add a negative stressor onto your life, which is already full of negative stressors at this point. You're you should shift it where your painting is now a positive like outlet, you know, instead of a thing that you have to do. Um so I would focus on just painting individual models that that spark joy when you paint them that are fun to paint. Uh, for me, a lot of the ways that I get some of my best hobby work done is when I just have a spare couple minutes, you know, like I have a spare 30 minutes or something like that. And then I just, I'll just take some models. Like you said, I have some models sitting on my hobby desk right now. Those are kind of staged there because the next time I have a spare 30 minutes, I'm going to take a pot of paint. I'm going to take one of my nice, my nice $20 brushes. Oh, and dude. I'm just going, I'm just going to put. I'm just going to lay down like a nice smooth layer of gold trim or a nice smooth leather pouch, you know, or like a red piece of cloth or something like that. And just that instant dopamine hit of like when you, when you get that nice thin layer of paint on, you're just like, mm, you know, no missed strokes, <laughs> nothing like that, whatever. Mm. That is usually enough for me to like all of a sudden just shift my schedule and just create a two hour like hobby session. And I just, yeah. I just get in the groove. Like I literally just slot in the groove and all of a sudden I just knock out like two characters and like three units out of nowhere, you know? Um, but that's like, that's just me like kind of like, I guess hacking like my neurodivergence to like find a way to hobby that works for me, but it's very much 
60% of my hobbying is done that way. Only about 40% of it is done via a deadline stressor. Um, for you, I would try to figure out a way you need to, however you need to frame it to make it where your painting is something that you're looking forward to or something that you are going to spend 30 minutes doing and it ends up becoming two hours because you're just having so much fun. That's the kind of headspace I think you need to get in. And if you can't get in that space, then I would say just don't spend your time painting because it sounds like right now it's a negative stressor for you. Uh, I have actually closed Discord. There we go. Um, from uh, Will, where is somewhere you want to go with the Evo system in the future? This feel I have thoughts on this, but this Boy. feels more of a cliff question. So I here's like where ideally I would like to go with this. For large events, it would be great if TOs relied upon ELO scores as a seeding method for players and a parent at the outset. Like that would be very, very, very cool. Um, and then from there, I think, well, here's mm, that's basically where I would want it to stop. I was about to say it would also be cool if there were some sort of like tangible rewards assigned at the end of like if it was picked up as like the seasonal marker by like some large sponsor of events. But then you run into I, I was like, oh nope, I forgot. Like this hobby is full of incredible nerds, including me. And like those nerds will find a way to take the like worst version of that approach and pervert it somehow. And like it will be a thing, people will be sitting on ELO scores or something, like it'll be a whole thing. So, like, maybe don't do that. Now, my watch is randomly going off. But it's time to go. Hey, anyway, <laughs> you figure it out? Okay. I was going to jump in and save you. Yeah, yeah. So, the, um, yeah, like, I think it'd be really cool for initial seating for big events. Like, that would be sick. Um, and I think there's some limited distribution of rewards based on ELO scores, but I think that's all that comes with like a hefty amount of skepticism on my own part. Uh, because I think it's very like then it would turn into like a gameable system and people are all like people are gaming ITC now. People would game ELO. Like you'd have people like there's people out there with high ELO scores and like do them on to you. Like you're grinding out like non-competitive events that are very large because nobody's out there. You know who you are. You know what's going on. And they would leave out a bunch of really talented players who are like teams based, who like don't have time for GTs anymore. You know, it's just, it just turns to a thing. I, I think on the end, it'll be really cool to see like how high ELO betas compare uh, to other brackets of the ELO system. Like that, I'm interested in the analysis part of it and less about the like use cases in game. Yeah, I'm. Um... I'm definitely in the side of the, the skepticism right there because um, I kind of want it to be like, is it, I don't know if I'm using this correctly, but like it's a little bit, right now it's a it's a metric that has no real driving effect on the game itself. Yep. Um, it doesn't care, as long as you hit the mark of five rounds of 25 plus players, it doesn't care about your podium. Nope. It doesn't care about if you win the event. It doesn't care about your placing. Um, it doesn't even it doesn't really care about like how many all it cares about is just game by game basis you know that's all it cares about so if you go to if you go to a 100 person 
seven round event and you go six and one, you know, it will just it's just going to reward you by the by all those by those games, mm-hmm. you know. But if you win a five round event, you know, you might have a nice uptick because your because your top table round or your 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 fourth or your fifth round was probably the person you had to go through to win that event. But it's still you won five games versus like six and one or something like that. Um, anyways, I digress. It's kind of like the I guess right now I'm I'm skeptical of it becoming a thing that like all of a sudden like affects the game. Just like when people use battle points as a tiebreaker, you know. What happens in your game should stay in that game. The only thing that should come out of it is a, a W and L or a D. You know, now like when it's like battle points or points destroyed or whatever it starts to become a tiebreaker, it just starts having these weird meta. It's just it's a it's a weird external factor on the game, and so that's that's why I'm skeptical on it. What I what I want to see is uh, we've talked about this before. Is I would love to see an Elo filter added on to the meta uh, the meta dashboard. Oh, that's coming. Um, that's like next week. Yeah, Tim. We, we yeah we 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 talked about it, but I, I, so not not to let the cat out of the bag or whatever. But um, we have we simulated that in the past before we created the Elo system. Well, we kind of had a loose approximation of it with the veteran, experienced uh, newcomer filter on the on the meta dashboard. It does a similar thing. It's just a little bit less granular, you know. It's just under the assumption that people that are going to lots of GTs, lots of majors, are people who are dedicated to improving at this game and have the experience to back it up. Um, so it's the idea is that that trend would approximately follow the trend line of ELO. And for the most part, it does. Um, but now that we have ELO as a trackable metric, that filter of newcomer, veteran, experience, whatever, it's kind of almost redundant. Um, so that is kind of what I'm looking for is where we can actually like fine tune and be like, okay, well, what is winning in the 1700 bracket? What's winning at the 1800 bracket? You know, at what what at what elo bracket does csm start pulling ahead of eldar or just start lagging behind so i think that's gonna be like a really interesting thing to look at i'm excited to do stuff like (laughs) what does a shift from one faction to another when it becomes the new hotness do for the average player's elo coming into that faction what's the elo bump that you can expect um after playing your first event with like 10th edition release Eldar, like something along those lines. Like that'll be super interesting to check out. Real person, the other thing I want to say is that like, the, this is the best question. The best person to ask this question is Jeremy uh, as the creator of this entire thing. Um, I know he's got some ideas about like what he'd like to do with ELO and uh, some really interesting technical analysis on the back end to make predictive, to increase its predictive accuracy. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty hyped about it. It's gonna be cool. I am yeah. Echo Echo Custody uh Cliff, like from the analysis side, I'm I'm very excited about like what we can do with ELO, especially was because right now ELO is just de- the ELO data set is derived from the main data set and it'll be cool to kind of reflect it back on as a filter. And I think there's gonna be a lot of a lot of really cool stuff we can do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. From uh, Pizza Bagels, Tommy uh, in the Discord. When large shifts in the meta occur, i.e. new codexes or data sleep gets released, how do you evaluate those meta shifts, prioritize hobby projects through the lens of the updated meta? 
Um, lot, kind of a lot, honestly, kind of a lot of concepts and and uh, questions in that that question. A big part of it is how big your collection is, how open you are to borrowing uh, models versus like if you are if you are the type of person who always wants to run the the newest, hottest, latest fad, you are not willing to borrow or unable to borrow, and you need to have the real models and you can't afford a commission painter or flow, you are you are gonna be chained to a hobby desk and you are also going to not have a lot of disposable income available to you because you're basically just gonna be spending money through the nose. Um so a big part of it is just like how much are you willing to give a game of toy soldiers? And probably at that point everyone kind of finds where they are on that graph, you know, of how much they're willing to give to this game. Um trying to me generally like I own all of chaos and orcs and I've kind of just kind of gotten rid of all my little side projects and everything. And so now anything that falls in that umbrella, I'm like, okay, I can pivot to it pretty quickly, you know, especially if I can see the changes coming, but anything outside of that umbrella, it's going to take me forever and it's going to be very expensive um, to pivot and pivoting in this hobby. You can do it quick or you can do it cheap. You can't do both. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, unless you just borrow it or you just already have it on hand. Um, if you are if you're someone who is kind of if you know that's how you are then the best recommendation i can give would be to try to um extrapolate when major rule shakeups are going to happen like data slates balance passes stuff like that and try to like make sure that your events happen like about a month to two months after those drop so that way you can at least try to figure out you're not scrambling at the last minute, like for your event, you know, for a rule change that happened a month before there's time for the meta to, to uh, settle and you can figure out what the strongest thing is. You can crib all these people's notes. And then that way you have a clearly defined shopping list of what you need to get hobbied up and ready. Um, that'd be my recommendation. Also just the more, the more you stay plugged into the community and the more you're like kind of have your ear to the ground of like, what people think, what's been bad, what's been bad for the past couple of months, the past, past couple of cycles is probably going to, whatever's been bad is probably going to get over to being good. You know, it's probably going to get major point slashes. You know, what, what uh, is getting a codex soon? What's on the codex roadmap? You know, um, just all sorts of stuff like that. If you, if you keep your ear to the ground, you listen to the community and you stay like even remotely plugged in, you can kind of anticipate generally like, good stuff that's coming you know there's there's going to be surprises you can't unless you have an nda you can't predict it with 100 accuracy even then but you can be like okay well this has been bad for because sony's been bad for a while they're better than people think they are so they're probably going to get major point um points love in january you know maybe something on top of that who knows and then a few months after January, they're going to get a codex. So you can start anticipating that by starting to buy and, and hobby up custodies now. So that way it's not such a whiplash this mm -hmm. spring. You know? If you're already bad. interested in them, like don't do it. This is the, this is the real trap unless you're really dedicated to the game. And if you are, then you've got a commission painter and all that stuff, right? Like 
don't do it just because you think you're going to be good. Pivot if you're like, I'm already interested in this army and it will be cool and it would be great if they're good by the time I have them hobby up. Like that's, that's sort of where you want to be. Yeah. It's, it's much more fun to have like three, like three to four armies that you actually genuinely love. Yeah. And then you just, and then you're just kind of focusing on fleshing out those collections. And then you take, you just take the strongest one. You either take the strongest one you have and you can play, you take that to an event you do well with, or you take like the second strongest one that you are enjoying more, you know, and you do that. Like, it's a great feeling right now, knowing that like at any given time, I could take like World Eaters, CSM, mm-hmm. like Death Guard, or Orcs to an event, you know, but that's, that has been years and years, years of accumulation. And I've definitely had some strong desires to like just go out and YOLO a Tyranid army or a Necron army or something like that, you know, when they're good. But I either just I either just try to like resist it or just borrow it, get it on my system, and then just continue down the path of growing my own collection. Um Tim the Weird Boy with the big end of season events coming up. What are your top travel organization trip tips for going to three or four day event with a significant amount of travel required? Um, I guess Tim's thinking about possibly going to LVO. Um, I have a trip coming up in January. I'm going to uh, Nottingham GT. That's the plan right now, um, which is a weird, going to be a weird multi-step process because Cindy wasn't able to get the same days off I was. So I'm going with my dad initially. He's going to go go early with me. We're going to see Warhammer World. I'm going to go play the event, and then I'm going to go back down to London and then meet the rest of my family there when they arrive Monday morning. Um, hopefully no one's travel will be as complicated as mine. Um, travel tips. Um, a good, a good case. There's a lot of things that should be like your first thing because traveling is always stressful. It's even more stressful when you're worried about repairing your models in a hotel room when you get there. Um, (laughs) I... Magnetic cases are good for short trips and for for driving. Um, but when you're flying, especially overseas or like longer trips, um, the longer you're on a plane, the more likely you are to just randomly hit some turbulence. Um, and turbulence, you know, transmits a lot of vibrations through the, the airframe, which can get transmitted to your model and can cause uh, glued joins to, to come apart. Um, so that's obviously bad. You can mitigate that a lot with foam because foam will absorb, you know, just like the shock absorbers of a car will absorb that and it won't transmit to your models. Whereas if you have a magnetic case with no foam, that gets transmitted directly into the models. And you can, and even though your model, your case doesn't get dropped or banged, you can just, you know, Get to your destination, open up your case, and you open it up, and some of your models just fall apart. Uh, that's why. Uh, so if you have to take a magnetic case, I would recommend uh, between the, the magnetic frame and then the case itself, take some pieces of foam and slide it in there, and then like rip up some foam and put it in between your models. Where I've had to travel with my Chaos Knights who don't fit my foam tray. My Chaos Knights only fit in my magnetic tray. That's how I travel with them. I, I rip up pieces of foam. I put it between all the Chaos Knights in the magnetic tray. I put the magnetic tray in the case, and I put pieces of foam on all, all six sides 
of the uh, the magnetic trade, try to absorb uh, all like that that uh, shock and vibration. But um, I really recommend foam trays. Um, when I traveled with my Death Guard, I traveled with the Citadel, um, the GW Citadel case, and a lot of a lot of a lot of GW products. I think are kind of money grabs. That case is actually pretty that good. Case the only reason, great. That case is great. Well, the only thing is, is that when the foam is slightly bigger than the tray, because when it closes, that foam compresses and it locks everything into place. If you have a lot of like bendy, pointy stuff like Admech or Dark Eldar or yeah. the Avoid Dragon, all that stuff is going to get snapped. So there's certain armies that do not travel well with it. But Death Guard are pretty large and chunky. Um, I had a lot of stuff. I didn't feel like magnetizing all of it. So I literally just put all the vehicles on the bottom, kind of shove them in there, and then just put all the, the Terminators and Nerglings and the Plate Marines, kind of shove them in there and just slam it all together. And they don't move. Um, that is probably one of the best trade, the best cases to fly with, and it fits. Um, and it, and the, it, the biggest, the also biggest thing is don't bring those oversized cases because they will force you to. If you bring an oversized case, they're going to force you to gate check it a lot of times, and you get to sit there, you get to sit there and watch out the window as one of the ramp handlers just like spikes your tray or your army case onto the conveyor belt, and you're just going to be sad. Yeah. So. If you if you can, it can seem quite tedious, but like magnetizing your models will save a lot of them. Like all my jet bikes are magnet. Like the spear comes off. Like that's magnetized the shoulder. Eliminates any problems associated with the spear snapping because you just stick them at the bottom of the foam and you're good to go. Um, all my knights. If you're watching on YouTube later. Like this is one of my knights. This whole thing pops off. His hand pops off. His arm pops off. Like if you can put all those things off and stick them in a bag and stick that bag in some foam, like again, you're good to go. Along with that, bring some glue and other repair goodies with you, uh, because yeah. even just over the course of playing the game, some of the stuff can get snapped off, and you want to be able to uh, fix it real quick. So. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. I would also. If you really, really, really want to um, to ensure that your army traveling experience is um, low stress, if you can pick your seats, I would pick a seat. Um, this is this is obviously more for nonstop flights because this is a uh, not a good idea if you have a, a tight connection to catch. But I recommend sitting near the back of the plane because a lot of people when they get on the plane. They put they load their bags up near the front and then they continue walking to their seats. And so oh, if you're sitting in the <laughs> yeah. So if you're sitting if you're sitting in the front, like you're gonna be all of a sudden you're not gonna have a spot to put your bag. And if your bag doesn't fit under the seat, like now you got to go backwards. Or they might if you're one of the last if you're like on like group E or F or whatever you're one of the last people to board the plane and you all of a sudden can't find a spot for your bag and it doesn't fit under the seat. Guess what? They're going to ask you to gate check it, and your stuff is going to be broke when it gets there. So, I um, I really recommend if you can pick your seats, pick something towards the back, because the back ten, the back tends to get loaded. Um, back tends to stay emptier for longer than the front because they load all the business class people in front. So, if you're one of the, if you pick the back, you tend to be able to to get first dibs on space. And then it's also worth it if you can afford it to spend like a little bit of extra cash 
to get the early boarding. So if you pick a seat in the back and you have early boarding, you should never have to uh, check your bag unless you're on like the absolutely the most jam-packed flight imaginable. So that's kind of like been my trick is I fly a lot and it, it's worked for me every time. Alternatively, so, when you see someone shit where yours is supposed to go, you look at it and you pull it out and you say, whose bag is this and why is it here? And when no one answers, you say, okay, and then you move it <laughs> somewhere else. I like that idea too. That's that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I would do that, but I'm also a big guy. So that's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> funny. You can also ask, uh, yeah, them, but, you can ask one of the uh, flight attendants. They'll help you out too. They'll be like, hey, this is, I don't know how this, why this is yeah. here or how it happened. Well, like, flight, move stuff over. If that happens to you and you call people like out like that, like flight attendants love back people up who are like doing what they're supposed to do versus like people who are doing who are like being assholes basically so um also last thing would be um you are allowed most airlines you're allowed one carry-on item and one personal item um and people a lot of times don't really think about what that means the carry-on items can be bigger than you think they are Mm -hmm. and so can personal items most people when they think of a carry-on the size they're thinking is actually the size of your personal item. Your personal item could be as big as like a laptop bag or like a briefcase or something like that. So I have a, um, I have two. So in addition to the Citadel case, I have two battle foam cases. I have a battle foam two sixteen, which is like briefcase size, um, and it could easily hold a thousand points of like just pure infantry, easily. Um, and then I have the the battle foam. I think like the. 420 or something it's like four something or whatever it's that's like the normal size like medium size case i rarely bring both of them but if i have a larger army if you bring if you bring both of them that's your carry-on and your personal item and that should be able to hold most armies in the game even like the largest armies because you put all your vehicles and your monsters and your big stuff in the big bag and you put whatever else you can fit in there and then you just cram all your infantry into the 216. And then you put the bigger bag underneath the seat in front of you. And then your personal item, which would be the Battle Foam 216, which is briefcase size, that is very, even the most crowded flights, that's very easy to find room in the overhead. Um, you just Usually if you just squish some bags, you can just slide it right in there. Um, so if you have like a larger, larger army, that's probably what I would do. But that's most of like that's most of the stress I think of traveling is just making sure your army gets there in one piece and not doesn't get destroyed in transit. Um, Make sure it doesn't. Other, get that's it. That's yeah, I'm trying to think of like what other stuff that I other travel tips that I'm probably taking for granted and forget and forgetting to mention. Well, to get access to that first boarding, right? Like if you get access to a given airports or a given airlines credit card that usually comes with like, oh, you get automatic priority boarding. Group one board. Yeah. You'll be one of the first people on. That's good. Typically, you get a free checked bag. That's also good because you can check your clothes or whatever. Um, in there. Yeah. Once we, I feel like once we start getting into like the recommending like airlines and hotels, like credit cards, we're getting like, we're getting almost like to like the the expert or like pro. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Traveling, you know. Um, if you don't travel, if you don't travel a lot, it might, that might not be like feasible for you. In but, general, phone case is just a good thing to have, though. You should have a phone case to transport your minis. They're good. Yeah, phone case is really good. Um, 
if you start traveling more and more often, um, we're actually planning to do this. Um, Miami Dice is going to send a team to the Champions Cup in um, Dallas in September. We are actually going to um, – I'm kind of taking the lead on this, um, a.k.a. I'm, I'm fronting the money, and then I, and then I'm going to, like, break people's kneecaps <laughs> and they'll pay me back. Um, but basically we are – Instead of doing hotels, instead of doing Ubers, instead of going out and eating or eating at like, you know, expensive hotel food. Because if you if you're in a hotel, a typical hotel or a casino, LVO, and you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the hotel, it's very easy to spend a hundred dollars on food in a single day without leaving the hotel, and it's not even particularly good food. Oh. Um, so what we're doing is, since it's eight of us, possibly nine if we get a coach, we are going to rent a fifteen passenger van. We are going to um, rent a a ten person Airbnb, aka a mansion, um, and then this is in this is in Plano, Texas. So like the Airbnb, even big Airbnbs are cheap. Uh, it'll be four. It'll be two thousand dollars for four days, but that's split among eight people. Yeah, that's so it's like sixty dollars a night. Yeah, uh, and then we're gonna take like probably about like we're all gonna chip in. We're gonna try to get about three hundred, three hundred fifty dollars, and we're gonna use that to like stock. The fridge, the Airbnb with like good food, um, booze, uh, kits to make lunch for people, like to take to the venue, so that way they don't have to like they're not stuck with like lines or whatever overpriced crap the the venue is pushing. Um, and the, there's there's a real kind of like strength and return on investment in numbers when you go to events. So if you can get like that's that's why teams are awesome. Because even if you get if yeah, if you get a crew, it's huge. Like if even if you have one person to split a hotel with, kind of be your backup, whatever, it makes traveling way less stressful. But if you can get like a whole crew or a whole team going, it just it just gets so much better. And that's like that's kind of like where tournaments really come into their own is when you start rolling up with a crew. Tournaments get way more fun. It's also cheaper. Um. Okay. Last question uh, from Ethan. Uh, I need your both your honest opinions on this list, hot or not. And he yes. lists Hypercrypt Legion with the, <laughs> looks like uh, Nightbringer, Hexmark Destroyer, Locust Lord with Resorb, Arisen Tyrant. I have no idea what that does. The new Overlord with Transi- Translocation Shroud. I know that guy's good. Silent King, Deathmarks, Doomsight, Doomsight, Locust Destroyer, Locust Destroyer, Locust Heavy Destroyer, Lich Guard, Tomb Blades, Tomb Blades. Uh, you probably know more about Necrons than I do, so I'm gonna defer to you in this. But like, I wasn't super impressed with the Silent King uh, in the new book. I just don't think yeah. he—I don't think he has enough keywords. I just don't think he does enough. I think that's that could be 420, 420 points of more shooting and more mission play. Yeah. Um, I do like the Locust Destroyers and Locust Heavy Destroyers. My first, my immediate reaction is to cut the Silent King and turn that 420 points into more Locust Destroyers and Locust Heavy Destroyers. Um, because just bouncing around the board three units a turn, that's that's my my immediate thought is I want more locust destroyers, more shooting. So it, uh, I, like it's cute because so hypercrypt makes a bunch of weird stuff, uh, like potentially viable because you're like, oh cool, like I can pick up the silent king and put him somewhere else on the board. I feel like, most, I feel like that's going to end up being like a bait. For most people though they're gonna it's they're gonna end, up, they're gonna end up putting the silent king like somewhere really dumb and like losing them turn two yeah 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 um i'm more intrigued i know even you talked about this a little bit in discord like i am i'm with tim on the like uh the silent king might be 
those, there's a, there are better ways to spend those points. Um, I'm into the Enmanic Destroyer bomb you've got set up here. Like that's just like gonna be 36 shots sustained, uh, rerolling all your hits. That's gonna be cool. Um, I'm a little weirded out by, <laughs> by the Doom sides. But you also have like a rationale for it when we talked about it, which is yeah. like, I'm going to drop these in wherever they're going to get angles. It's big anti-vehicle firepower. And like, I can throw a four up on the one that gets, gets targeted. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, that's not bad. That's way more utility than they would have in any other detachment. Yeah, um, I, I reserve my judgment cool. on them because I had no idea what they did. Although my eyeballs kind of popped out of my head a little bit when I saw their 230 points at least. Like, very expensive. Those were expensive. <laughs> but so much, like so much of the stuff, you know, like hex mark destroyers, for example, you're like, are these good? You're like, it's a little map that you can put anywhere you want on the board for the entire game, occasionally within three inches using Inceptor rules. Like, that's that's he not have it? oh, he has one, he has one. Yeah, um, what does Dimensional Overseer do? Um, I don't know what any of these enhancements do. Oh boy, so Dimensional Overseer is the um. It's the, you can add one. So typically in Hypercrypt in 2000 points, you can take three of any of your Necron units and throw them into the uh, hyperphasing space. Uh, that lets you add one more. So you can do four, which might be overkill, but a lot of deep I like that. From there, so no, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Um, I'll be honest. Other... I, I kind of want, I kind of like the idea of having three of those Hexmark stories, at least two. At least feels like, yeah, one feels like not enough. I I think, I think in Hypercrypt, I feel like I'd want another one. Yeah, they're just. I mean, it's you know, it's cheap Calidus, slightly tougher. Yeah. With I'm I'm also again I, I grain of salt. I do not play Necrons. I play against Necrons a fairly decent amount. I've taught people who play Necrons, but like this is just everything I know about about Necrons is like via osmosis. Mm -hmm. But I do know that I have never not liked uh, Locust Destroyers and Locust Heavy Destroyers. And I feel when I'm playing, when I'm thinking about playing into this new book, I think I am most scared of this detachment. Just putting Locust Destroyers and Locust Heavy Destroyers in angles where I can't quickly get enough guns to bear on them. They're getting angles on stuff that I don't want them shooting at. And they're out of range of my melee to get to them. And if I try to get to them, they'll just leave. And now I have melee units exposed and out of position. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like the idea of leaning into that. So another Hexmark Destroyer, more locusts of all types. Um, I like how you have the I like how you like the singles, but I would also like to see probably like a bigger unit because that unit does shoot hard, and not having a bigger unit does feel a little bit like a waste. Um, let us know how the doom size go, but man, that is 460 points in two models. And I feel like that leaves you a very thin margin of error. Like where if you just don't, if they don't do enough stuff or if you misplay them and you lose them, like you're going to be between that and the silent King, like you're going to be in a real tough spot. That's 880 points between three models. I think, um, be, I mean, like maybe even maybe you're thinking like oh it's cool i can reposition the doom size by the silent king and get re-rolls on these big guns but that's a huge amount of table space that's like not necessarily even yeah. possible in a lot of scenarios so 
Yeah. Also, I feel like this. I feel like this detachment really wants to spread out and play the board, which is which is a real push pull to like generally how you want to use the Silent King. Yeah. Like I know he can hop around. That is cool, you know. And but man, he you, he really wants to be active in both. He wants to be active in like in the command phase, shooting phase, and fight phase. You know, to really get his like dirt use out of him. And I'm just, I feel like. That's going to be hard to do in this detachment. Also, I, I just don't think his data sheet translated very well into the new book, personally. Yeah. I could be proven wrong on that because I'm far from the Necron expert. But, like, you... yeah, I don't know. Like, would you rather have the Silent King or 20 Warriors with a, let's be extra trolly, 20 Warriors with a Techomancer with Osteoclade Fulcrum, giving them Deep Strike? Stick them on the table, turn one. You pick them up, turn one, hyper pips. You put them down wherever you want, possibly within three inches of the enemy. You hit a bunch of objectives at the same time and like hard move block somebody with 20 T4, four up, five up field of pain saves. And have like, you know, 100 some points, 150, 160 points left over. And all this other stuff. I don't know. Silent Kingdom, that. Not super into yeah. it. Legion. Yeah, I, I, I like run it because I want to know what happens, but like I don't think I would do it. Yeah, I definitely feel like this detachment, and like I said, well, this this book is far from salt, but um, yeah. this tar this type of hypermobile like bouncing around archetype, like it wants to, it really wants to play the entire board and try to like spread out the opponent's army, but you also want a couple hammer units to like quickly obliterate those those over commitments that are out of position that your opponent is forced to do to stop you from scoring so many points so i do like i do like the one locust heavy destroyer brick um but i think you need at least one more big damage dealing brick whether it's a locust brick or something else i do like the nightbringer um that guy is really good and i think he's going to provide a really nice anchor to the style list where he just basically picks a section of the board he's like the rest of the army is bouncing around doing stuff, but this section of the board is mine. Mm -hmm. um, he's very... If if the Nightbringer is trying to come towards your opponent, the Nightbringer is very easy to play around, but if he is picking a very vital area of the battlefield and just sitting there, and he's like, you have to come into and or through me, that is actually, like, can be a little bit rough. Yeah. So I do There's like also that. just like again the mobility plays right. Like you pick him up, turn two. Oh, can the Nightbringer be picked up? Yeah, it's like it's any of the Necron units. This any like, of them really, even the Catan. That's crazy. Attachments fucking bananas. Like I think I really it's gonna be like John's Vanguard list with Ultramarines, except everything. Has I could I could definitely see like fun stuff where you like you pick up the you pick up the Nightbringer and then the next turn you immediately like rapid ingress him in. You know, like there's there's definitely some cool stuff I can see people doing there. Yeah, and you can do you can do the three inch deep strike with it from turn two onward. Like at least that's my understanding of the rules. Um, it's gonna yep. be. It's gonna I be could bad. see. I know people are a little bit down on him, but I I could actually see the deceiver being pretty cool on this list um, because he has the redeploy. Now, granted, it's the bad redeploy, but like still, you can still kind oh, of like yeah. so there's still even the bad redeploy is still redeploy. Um, and there's definitely like you could definitely use that, and then like a redeploy combined with picking stuff up at your opponent's end of your opponent's turn, and then like the play of like rapid ingress afterwards is huge. And he also randomly he also has he also has stealth 
And then he has more OC. I think the other Satan are OC4, and he's like OC6 or something like that. So there's definitely some plays there. This book, man, this book is so it's deep. It really is. I think I'm it's a good book, man. I think it's I think it's gonna be cool. I like I said, I'm not I'll borrow Necrons if I want to play them, but I'm not playing yeah. them, but I'm definitely I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what people do. Same. All right, man. I think that was all the questions. I didn't see any in chat. It looks like we pretty much went through everything. Uh nice easy uh sh- holiday show. Hey. Uh the next show is going to be sometime in January. It should be like right before I get ready to travel to uh, Nottingham. So that'll be fun. That'll be money. Um, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And then and then immediately post Nottingham, I change schedule. So we might have to mess around with time slots, or whatever. But we'll we'll see. Um, we'll we'll figure it out. That's that's uh that's twenty twenty four Tim and Cliff problems. So. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, you got any uh, parting shots for us? You know, hit us up on Patreon. Follow us up on follow us on YouTube. Subscribe, like, hit the comments. Y'all are already in the comments and the conversation. Appreciate you for watching. Um, if you're podcasting or watching back on YouTube, hi. Thanks for checking. Thanks for checking in. See you in Discord. Keep playing. Keep painting. Aims headed toward a better spot. GW, please save nights and custodies. My favorites. Tim, what do you got? All right, guys. Um, I don't really have anything. Everyone out there, just uh, happy holidays. Um, Grant, we're thinking about you. Uh, if you ever need to talk to us, you know you can reach out to Cliff or I directly. Um, everyone else, uh, happy holidays. Go spend time with your your family or friends or whoever you know, sparks joy. Um, paint some minis, play some games, and we will see you uh, in the Discord. Great holiday. Bye. Great doing y'all. Bye. For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer Media Network. More info at media.goonhammer.com.